Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Optive Theology Podcast. My name is Andy Schmidt. I'm here with Pastor Nick Gibson and Lexi Gibson, hey. Nick's wife. And I've been trying to get you Hi. on the podcast for a while. Is this her first one or her this second? Is, this is your first one, right? I um, think so. You yeah. haven't been on, yeah. So this is a big day, and I'm excited. Um, but so we're gonna, we're in our education series. We're gonna talk about homeschooling. But before we do that, can you tell everybody who you are, what you do, and I guess why you relate to the homeschooling conversation? Whew. Okay. So, um, well, I am. Um, currently I work part-time as a corporate chaplain for a company here in Wisconsin, and I'm also in school to become a therapist. Um, prior to that, I worked, um, before kids, I worked in a pharmaceutical company, so I like the science side of things too. Um, and in the interim of that, I took it upon myself and I would say that God's leading to, um, come alongside women and, um, walk with them in a way that was spiritually enriching. And, um, I'd call that spiritual mentoring. So in the midst of all that, I decided to homeschool and I did that. I'm still kind of currently doing it. So it was a seven year gig and then it kind of tapered off over the last couple of years. Cool. Yeah, and for our oldest child, we used the public school in the Panama City area for oh, a couple of years. Yeah. So she did interface with, she has interface with the public schools, not mm-hmm. so much here in Madison, but other places. Yeah. And then we also have had kids in and out of High Point Christian School mm-hmm. also, so that we've had some experience with the pri- privately run yeah. public schools. Yeah, you guys have done it all. And when it comes to schooling, I mean, yeah, all right. three of the options. I mean, right you now we are literally doing yeah. all three. So we have, we're going to have two kids who are going to homeschool, but okay. one of them, some of their classes are going to be at the city college here. And then we have one kid who's in college who's going to be going to public city college. And then we have one who's going to be at High Point Christian School. So this next year we're going to have And the kid. one totally homeschooling in high school. Yeah. Which yeah. I've done before. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So we're going to have a totally homeschooled, kind of hybrid homeschooled, a at the Christian private school and one that's, well, she's in university and she's going to be going to yeah. the, to, um, the city college basically remotely. Wait, so you just mentioned four things. I'm we trying have four to... kids. In, we have four yes. kids and they're all doing something different. Doing something slightly doing something different. different. Mm-hmm. Well, that, I guess that's kind of where the conversation is going to go. I'll just, I'll kick it off by saying like the... You guys chose to do homeschooling and a bunch of other options, which we'll talk about. And Andrew and I, in in talking about what we're going to do for our kid, we've come to this decision. Actually, before we got married, we came to the decision that we were going to homeschool. And so we don't really know what that means. I mean, we do know what it means, but we don't know what goes into it because I wasn't homeschooled and neither was she. But we know that we don't want public schools and don't want private schools. So, uh, or government schools and, and public or private. So, um, I guess what led you, I'll start with asking this to you, Lexi, what, what led you to the, the idea of homeschooling? Like okay. where, where did that? Okay. I think before she answers this question, I yeah. think that there's a, a basic like functional reality mm-hmm. in homeschooling, which is somebody has to be home to school. To school. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. that's kind of a fundamental reality. So mm-hmm. like, a two parent family where both parents work nine to five. Yeah. Homeschooling is an extra, is a difficult, if not impossible, impossible option. Yeah. Right. And so once you make that decision, then like 
somebody's usually going to be the main breadwinner. Yeah. Otherwise, you're going to be working like opposite shifts or something, which is really, really difficult on a family. So just that choice to have like a main breadwinner who's highly available to their work and another person who mm -hmm. may be working part time, but highly available at home. Yeah. Is a major family decision. And once you do that, what you're doing is you're not sharing the load educationally in any kind mm -hmm. of meaningfully equal way. Yeah. I mean, so what that means is someone is homeschooling the children. Yeah. Much more than that. You're both doing it. Yeah. And because homeschooling can be high context, the other parent jumping in, like I've just had a really hard time jumping in and like yeah, help no. quote helping out. Yeah. Because I, I, I'm so low context in a high context environment. Alex will just be like, Hey, do X. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? And like, what happened yesterday and what's going to happen tomorrow? And how closely am I supposed to look at this? And what does that kid normally do? And I found it really difficult to jump in there. So what that means is, is that Alexi has done like 95% of the work. Mm -hmm. So when I say we've homeschooled our kids, what I mean is, is that I've tried to be supportive of Alexi yeah. while Alexi homeschools our kids. Yeah. Right. And I mean, you probably had to do, you guys probably came to the, the conclusion of homeschooling together, I would assume, right? Like that conversation was a together. No. Yeah. Um, I mean, Lexi was the lead in it. She came yeah. to me and said, I wanted to homeschool, but she was also responding to the reality in our family driven by my workload. So why did you, so give us context. Why, why it's did multifaceted. you? I mean, that's the thing for me and for every family, it's a little bit different for me. It was multifaceted. So, um, I kind of wondered about it when we lived in Florida, when we had like a four, two and one year old. And then we moved pretty soon after to Madison. And so I kind of tabled it. There was a Christian school at the church Nick was going to be working at. And I thought, okay, let's just try that and see how it goes. Mm -hmm. Um, because it was part of my compensation. For, yeah, I could right. send my kids yeah. there. Because so it it's right? expensive. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't expensive we couldn't expensive afford it yeah. if we had to pay the bulk of the tuition. So, um, but then Nick's job as senior pastor really began to kind of reveal that the time that he had to spend with a bunch of his young children and me was pretty limited and his evenings were occupied and, and his days were actually a little bit more flexible. And so, especially in those early days. And so, and then the weekends would come along and he was always consumed like Saturday afternoon, evening, preparing for Sunday. And then Sunday was always taken up. And so we didn't that. And the kids were home on the weekends, yeah. you know, so I'm thinking, okay, what, you know, what has God called me to, what does he want our family to look like? I think they, our kids need to know their dad. Um, and so that played a part as like, it was weighing mm -hmm. on me. And then our oldest, um, got like mono in sixth grade and missed a ton of school and, um, was just, it was just, that was a hard year. And yeah. so then I thought, okay, I'm going to try this, you know, and she had had, she had, has ADD and that was also part of like a, just a learning challenge. She was not your traditional, like sit and learn and read and, you know, do the things the teacher says, you at know, this she's time, like, you, was she in, oh, she was at high point, at high point mm -hmm. school, private. Yeah. And there yeah. were a couple right. other complicated, complicated cool. adventures too. Yeah. One other thing that Lexi hasn't shared you too is, is that, um, as per normal schooling, our kids were coming home with a couple hours of homework every night. Yeah. So not, when oh, mom, yeah. when Lexi says I was, I had things in the evenings. I mean, I was really trying to cut down as much as I could mm. on things in the evenings, but what I was finding was it didn't matter Yeah. because I would come home from work and the kids were still doing homework until almost their bedtimes. And so the nut, so it, so it wasn't like they were at school all day and then they came home and then we had family time. If I was there, oh, I would come home the and then they're still doing schoolwork. 
which of course would make me angry because they were at school for eight hours. Why can't they get? Why the can't they do done? their schoolwork at yeah. school, right? That's but then, question. so when Lexi first did it, she said a big part of the reason was because, um, so the kids could see me, we could have a relationship, and a big part of that was to eliminate the homework. Yeah, to, right. it was know, to free up that evening mm-hmm. time. Um, yeah. For other things that wasn't just sitting and working right. on worksheets. So, right. Yeah. They're just doing dittos at yeah. night. Yeah. And it's like, we didn't even talk about that. There's I no, in the other podcast about homework. Like, right. That's, so, like, if you want to like go hiking as a family in the evening and like spend time together, not yeah. in front of a television no, or whatever, not going like, to happen. Yeah, yeah, your kids have to do this homework. And if they don't turn, those are like 20% of their grade a lot of times. Like, all of the homework is like 20% of their grade. So, yeah. if you don't do any of it, well, I didn't do any of it in high school. And yeah. my grades were bad. That they didn't have a good. That's effect. another thing too. Is that I I sometimes grades can be a good measure of what you yeah. know, and other times it's a hoop to jump through. Yeah. And it just measures more of like your ability to keep track of things. Regurgitation. And, and if you have yeah. ADHD, you kind of have right. a mind that yeah. is like very not linear, and so keeping track of things was not our oldest. It just, it wasn't part of her natural makeup. And so all of that homework and that organization, it was just, it felt so dissonant for her. Um, And so, you know, I thought, well, I'm staying home with the kids and I have this, I have this time. I mean, I had to restructure everything um, and it wasn't just an easy switch. It took a a couple of years to adjust. So you, so uh, yeah, when you're saying these things about your oldest kid, are we not, am I not, am I allowed to or not allowed to use their names? I wouldn't use their names. No. Okay. So for your oldest kid, I feel like, um, I feel similar in some ways that like homework and all these organizational things are not helpful but how did you like not that organization isn't helpful organization is good and i've been slowly like learning how to be more organized um but and that's not my that's not what naturally comes to me so how did you like you have different kids so i I can assume some of your kids are probably more organized than the other ones and so how did you like how did you design their schooling to help them be the most successful at what they're good at. Cause I think that right. what public school and probably private school um, fails to do is help kids that are more like your oldest and probably mm-hmm. like me who maybe yeah. we could be really good at something, but it's not what they do. Like sitting yeah. there and listening to somebody just talking. Yeah, it doesn't not... help to homeschool a kid and to take off all of the weight of organization. Because, yeah. yeah, then if they right. go off to college or they get a they job or they start a business. Right. Oh, yeah. Like, life requires you organization. You have to be organized. Yeah, and capacity. I mean, there's been some economic research on college that what co- if somebody graduates from college, what that tells you is they can jump through a lot of hoops over a yes. four-year period. Right. Not that they're intelligent or that they've learned. Yeah. And so... It, but but that is valuable to employers because it's, it matters a lot. So it means they can grind things out, like they can like get yeah. stuff done. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think Alexi I, had yeah. has incorporated that. So I'll yeah. just let, maybe let her. How did you do that? So so executive functioning skills are key to um, accomplishing measurable things in our lives. And executive functioning is like um, the ability to think in an orderly way, the ability mm-hmm. to plan ahead, the ability to time manage mm-hmm. um, so that you have an awareness of the minutes and the hours and you're not spending 10 or 15 hours pouring into something and neglecting everything else yeah. and creating this kind of like give and take process yeah. that that runs the world like those are very important skills things that used to be called discipline are now called executive function okay that makes sense what they found though is that because discipline is kind of like a you know you should be versus like executive functioning is just these skills either come easily to some or others they have to work for them and but they're still worth 
pursuing. Yeah. And it's not that you're undisciplined if you don't have these. It's just yeah. that you need to work on cultivating them. How do, and so oh, for sorry. her, for, for the oldest, and it was a learning process for me too, because I am more organized than than she and several of my kids. Um, is she like you? Are you less organized? So yeah, this is where Alexi and I, we don't, we're working on seeing eye to eye. Like I think it's perfectly fine to refer to yourself as undisciplined. You know, I, I like executive, it's just, I don't have executive function or I'm undisciplined. I, I think what, I think the reason why we use some of that language is just to say it is more natural to other, some people than others. And some people will work really hard to be disciplined and it's still, they're not going to be super disciplined as compared to, to others yeah but you can be non-tragic like there's a there's a certain level of undisciplined where it becomes tragic like yeah. it starts to ruin your life right and most people can at least achieve that yeah and so yeah so being super organized where everything has its place and there's a place for everything yeah and, you know all the files are where they're supposed to be and there's nothing on the floor in my house and like i can't i've never been able we to should have recorded that, kind of, that we should have recorded yeah. this podcast. i've never been able to achieve that kind <laughs> of this organization neither has alexi yeah. right that's just not we're not that sort of person. Yeah. I'm not. But, but, and, um, yeah. but and, and it's not to be highly valued over others. And I think, right. Maybe Cause highly creative people tend to not be that organized yeah. or even highly, mm. sometimes highly effective people yeah. are not that organized. And so I usually, I think of Alexia as I, as I'm more sort of a more highly creative person, she's more of a highly effective person. Mm. Yeah. Um, and we, and so our house isn't clean and it's, it may never be. Maybe when our kids are gone. Yeah. I mean, but, it's clean. Uh, like, there's not rotting trash oh, yeah. in the corners. It, yeah. it's, not, it's, it's not tidy. It's uh, not it can be cluttered. organized. It's yeah. cluttered. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. lived it in. It can be Dude, look, I wish I lived in this house. Growing up, my mom and dad are like, like, they are like obsessive compulsive about like, everything's well, got to be mom was super like that. clean. Yeah. yeah, my mom was an immigrant. And so she... She really, really had a hard time with anything not being perfect. But yeah, I would clean the bathroom and, and then my dad would find a, and he's going to get mad that I'm saying this, but he doesn't have a podcast and I do. Um, <laughs> I, he would find a speck of dust and it would be like, you did not clean this right. You need to redo it, redo it, redo it, redo it. Yeah. And I was like, this looks Nothing's amazing. Good enough, yeah. It's not good enough. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, but like, listen, I have a couple of people on my staff that are highly organized and they're, I'm so glad they're on my staff and they do annoy me sometimes. Yeah. But like the world needs different kind of people, you need right? systems, you need structures, yeah. you need organization because to bring this back to Alexi's work with our kids um part of homeschooling was she was able to say to like our oldest okay there's a certain level of organization you have to achieve so that yeah. this isn't a tragic fault yeah and so, what, so you need to have a certain amount of executive function even if it's not easy for you yeah but so it was working on the it. skills it yeah. was it was saying okay you need there's x x number of chapters that need to get accomplished in math this week yeah. and so what is going to work for you because i can yeah. give you my plan that would work for me yeah but but let's let's work on what is measurable for you and every single week for at least a year like throughout the school year we would mm -hmm. sit down every monday morning and i'd say okay get the curriculum because we were doing classical conversations at the time although mm -hmm. that kind of waxed and waned throughout our homeschool journey yeah um and so you just take your lesson plans and the the the, the student sits because i would call them my students right they're my yeah. children and they're yeah. also like we need to keep those roles and boundaries yeah. appropriate um, and they would sit and they would go through their, their okay. curriculum and their lesson plans for that week and make their plan. And I'd say, okay. And I would, I would just go behind them and say, okay, but remember you've got this and this and this mm -hmm. assignment soon in two weeks. So what do you think you need to do? And listen, there was a lot of failing <laughs> that happened. Yeah. Their plan would be too high achieving for some and too lazy for others. Yeah. Right. And that was part of the learning mm -hmm. was, okay, I think that you're, you're overestimating your ability to do all these math mm -hmm 
projects mm -hmm. and these these extra things in addition to what's expected. And so it was lots mm -hmm. of conversation about how do you learn? What works for you? Um, doing the things that you don't want to do, knowing that they're still part of your responsibility. So yeah. there's a lot of character development that happens during that time of just getting organized. Yeah. Um, and it's, it takes patience and it takes perseverance and it's totally worth it because now the, all of the older kids will, they, they still make their own plans and really? they came up with their own systems and their own ways to attack the day and make goals for themselves yeah. and, and do it in a measurable way. So that yeah. at the end of the day, they're like, that worked like that that functionally worked mm -hmm. or sometimes that did not work. Yeah. So we talk about it. What did you do about like, when I was in high school, like I was never going to be good at like science and math. And when I look back at it, like maybe now, I think, I think part of the reason why I wasn't going to be good at that was because they taught math in a way that made no sense in the public schools. And I just didn't get it. And I think now I look back and I'm like, maybe if they taught it in more, more like philosophically or like something like more in more in terms of like logic and reason, I might've liked it, but I didn't learn it that way. I learned it in yeah. terms of things that make math harder for you to understand. So, yeah. well, I think, I, so part of it just is, so there's this context. So like, um, so for our oldest who had like the ADD issues, right? Yeah. There was a point where she decided she was going to really focus on math, right? She was way behind and she's like, I'm going to catch up and I'm going to do all this math. And so she found her own place in the house that was quiet. Yeah. And she just like burned through math and, and got pretty good at it. She got good at yeah. it. Yeah. And part of it was like when I was in school and I'm in like, I'm in seventh grade. My mom had me in eighth grade math because I was bright. Yeah. Which meant I was with eighth grade girls in that class. And I just, frankly, at that point in my yeah. life, the, the level of insecurity I had, the stuff I was like personally girls dealing or math. with, yeah, I mean, I just, I literally, yeah. I couldn't pay attention for the presence of female humans. Whereas <laughs> if I, if I literally yeah. could have been in my house and I had a math, my math book, I, I don't think I would have needed a teacher if it was written in English. Sometimes like when you... there's so much distract, it's like we underestimate how much yeah. distraction there is around us and sometimes it's for need of quiet but, so, but sometimes it's like yeah but like now i mean now there's khan academy and youtube and yeah like the the idea that you need a teacher standing in front of a class talking yeah like anybody who wasn't personally invested in our education system who didn't who hadn't lived here you know and like kind of came out they would think that was really weird that we yeah. still had these like humans in front of classes talking yeah like they were on a video yeah. Instead of working with humans throughout the class while the humans are watching yeah. instructional videos. You, okay. So I want to mention this real quick. And I so in homeschooling, like, so one of the benefits of homeschooling then is what, I, what I'm saying here is you can get yourself out of the straitjacket of institutionalized yeah. thinking. If you can see, if you can see that reality. So like, but you can also get caught up in it. So let me give you two quick examples. You know, Alexi was very quick to just be like, look, Khan Academy's good instruction or like these different things. Yeah. We can access these technologies and we can, right? Yeah. However, when we did classical conversations, right? Classical conversations is all about Latin. I mean, not all about, but like linguistically, it's yeah. it really focuses on learning Latin. And I was like, why are we learning Latin? Like Spanish is going to be the language. They're very similar in terms of structure. We're not going to read Ovid in Latin, in the original Latin. There's no texts of original Latin that are of academic interest to us. All of them have been incredibly translated. Let's just switch over to Spanish. For me, that was an example of institutionalized thinking within the classical curriculum, right? Mm. And but the classical curriculum was like, no, 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 Latin, because it's, because it's just by the way that it's been. Yeah, done. and I was yeah. just like, I, I think that's another form of institutionalized thinking. Yeah. And then at a certain point, Alexi and the kid, the kids were like, I want to take Russian or 
Spanish or Spanish something. Or Chinese, and then she's like, okay, yeah. yeah, let's do it. Now, yeah. I think she would say you can learn Spanish easier if you've had the Latin. Yeah. But you also can learn Spanish easier if you just take Spanish. Yeah. So, I want to tell people that when I, sometimes when Nick would talk about how like he was good with the girls or whatever back when he was in high school or whatever, <laughs> middle school. Um, I know that Never be, in middle school. I not, maybe never. not middle school. You're just obsessed with the girls in middle school. Obsessed with the girls, yeah. yes. But, but not good I, with I, would, I would always think to myself, there's no way that that Nick was able to get girls, and then, and then on Facebook somebody posts a picture of you, like maybe a month ago when you were in high school, and I was like, Nick was a good. I was like, my mind was blown. You were like a good looking guy in high school, so I I was like debunked towards, towards the end of towards high school, the end. Yeah. yeah, I was like, dang, Nick Nick is a good looking guy. Yeah. So, anyways, that's for context for people who. That's a very interesting. Uh... Um, yeah, way to bring that up. Little thing, thing that I got out little, of all the things that Nick yeah. just said. Yeah. So, yeah. so <laughs> to, to bring it back though, that like yeah. there's so there's context. Like, well, can Alex I make it? Can, okay, can I make a point though? Like, in that the learning of homeschooling is very much like you just put a lot of information out there, and yeah. then the students catch what they catch. Yeah. And so, out of all of that, what you caught was that man. You know, Nick always says that he got a lot yeah. of girls, and actually, I saw a picture and it confirmed his, you know, did. that he yeah. was actually a decently yeah. good-looking guy. Yes. Um, and so, in homeschooling, what what I found to be um, facilitating the love of learning is to just put a lot of information out there and say, okay, like well, let's here's and well, and it's not just like a free for all. There's yeah. a guided learning, mm-hmm. and it's just like here's a bunch of information. So that's where like testing on the facts. And like having students memorize things and then testing them on what their ability is to memorize mm-hmm. is less effective mm-hmm. than giving them, telling them a story about history and then yeah. integrating it with science. And then at the end saying, okay, so like, what did you get out of that? What what yeah. was most exciting? And so then they tell back to you the things that they found interesting mm-hmm. or the questions that they had or the connections that they made. Yeah. And that kind of learning actually, it's almost as if like the performance of school is like a secondary thing. Yeah, you know, and it's because you're excited about the. They're excited, like I'm I'm curious. When I was, yeah, the key thing, the key thing, what Lexi's saying there is, is that is that it it allows you to interact in a way that makes the learning itself the focus. And I think that's what Lexi was trying to convey to this children was. Yeah, I have to give you, I have to post you grades. Yeah. But this is about learning. This is about you developing as a person. This is about, right. and I think that that's something that she was able to achieve, but you know, better than I, I achieved when I was in school. Yeah. You know. Um, but I think it's also important to recognize that part of what Chuck called the grammar stage, like the stage where memorization is more is more productive. Yeah. So one of the things that Lexi did curriculum-wise, be, partly because of co- classical conversations, is the kids would memorize fact-rich sentences or propositions about periods okay. of time. Gotcha. And they had to memorize those. And so they would memorize a sentence and it would... Ha- but the, give an that, example. That sentence would... Oh, I don't think I can give you an example. You don't have it. Yeah. At the, at the time of the Russian Revolution, Tsarist Russia was dominated by serfs, but was changed dramatically over a period of years by the blah, blah, blah. And it's like, it would be like, it'd be like transitional periods or yeah. major leaders or whatever would right. be included. In. But then they memorize that, but then they'd also learn like what Lexi's saying, like information about that time period yeah. in which they could like learn certain things and pick things out. Like she was saying. So there's yeah. like this, this relationship between something that you memorize because it's a set of facts you needed to know to gain an education. Yeah. And then there was learning and interacting which had this emotional content of like what was interesting to you and what, yeah. what did you learn and what, what has implications for your life? And well, can and, I just, then, and then the grades came later. Yes. Yeah, so the thing that, that when I graduated high school and then I came to high point and I, I feel like when I graduated high school, maybe I was like 
you could probably speak better on it, but I, I was just stupid. I don't know, like, like kind of dumb or like, mm-hmm. it just had the stupid. And I felt like that the most helpful thing that you did and, and that I've like started to realize now is that like when you, and I think that's why this podcast is popular or people like to listen to it is that like you'll start with a point and then you'll like bring it all the way around into a circle and then connect the points back at the end. And when I, in a circle, it's not a real circle, but in the way that I think about it, it's kind of like a circle. And when I, when I would ask a question at school, the answer was like a straight line. And I didn't understand how to like, if you start here, then how do you get to here rather than if you like start, Sorry, I just made a line with my hands for yeah. people listening. And it would rather if you start here and then you move all the way around to the circle and you bring it back into why these two things connect. That's I can connect. I can do that all day. Like I can understand things I would never be able to understand in school. Now I can understand them or when I read books, I can think that way. But I didn't even know that there was any context for thinking that way until after I graduated school. And so yeah. it was inter- it was that was just that's been something that's yeah. interesting that I've thought linear about. thinking can be really, really helpful, especially in scientific context. Yes. I, but yeah. in- integrative thinking is is the kind of thinking that produces wisdom. And sometimes that that is lacking in educational structures that don't seem to value it. But that, but one of the ways like, you know, Lexi was, would teach things like social studies in English is mm-hmm. kids would, our kids would read literature mm-hmm. and um, really truly classic literature, yeah. not just popular literature has a lot of deeply human things in it. A lot of wisdom, a lot of stories that where you interact with that kind of stuff. And so yeah. when, as Lexi's working through those sorts of things, mm-hmm. but it also it's, you can choose how high to go. So she read Gorgias by, um, Plato with Rachel and I mean that was pretty intense pretty intense kind of thing I mean a lot of, a lot of people don't read those things till they're at college and only at certain colleges yeah but you know Lexi labored through that book with her and Rachel did not like it at first I mean she really kind of felt like she was resisting it as I was observing it but then she like started connecting with it and later I heard her referring to it Interesting. and there's a lot of deep wisdom in that kind of writing yeah. what do yeah. you think Lex well what did you say uh, what do I think about what like we just said a bunch of things. Yeah. Right. I know. You want me to just what do you think about thing? like linear? Like how did you deal with the linear to circular thinking in, in the ter- in the sense that wh- when I got, to, when I became 16 or 17, I knew that my job wasn't going to be in math and, and science. This is just, there's people that are way better at that stuff than I am, yeah. but I knew it could be in history or it could be in, in writing. I was always really good at writing or poetry. I did really good at poetry and not that I would maybe not do a job in poetry or whatever, but like what, uh, how do you do, at what point do you start to like make distinctions with your kids where you're like, this kid's not ever going to be good at this thing. So maybe we like tone it down here and we go more <laughs> hardcore at the things that they could be really good at and, and vice versa for other kids. Because I've always found it weird that like, even when I was a junior or senior in school, I mean, every all my teachers knew that I was not going to be like Einstein. I mean, I, I was going to be like the opposite of him. So why do I have to understand all these concepts and things that I to, t- today, I don't know any of them. I don't know any of the, the crap that I learned in school about, uh, algebra and geometry and yeah. whatever i didn't still, know you still engage in organization mental organization and mental, and mental exertion but i feel like that could have been achieved through through something that i actually enjoyed like philosophy or theology or history i, do, I think it's important to recognize when we talk about a student's experience in the school that was negative for them that there it's more than just they didn't teach it the way i learned it it wasn't very interesting 
Um, there's so many other factors involved, whether it's maturity of the child, what's yeah, going on yeah, at home, yeah. um, what their aptitudes are naturally, um, what's distracting them easily. Case in point, girls in the eighth grade math class, like you don't, it, there's so many more than things than just that. And so when it comes to teaching a student at home, I mean, there's, uh, there was other students that were homeschooling and it's mm -hmm. easy enough to want to compare and be like, Oh, well, their students doing so awesome in their homeschool. Yeah. Why mm -hmm. isn't my kid yeah, doing that was, what they can do? That was do? difficult. Cause there were some, really? there were some families where the kids all just kind of fell in line and did what they were told and learned all the stuff. Gosh. And are we, I don't know if you could imagine, but we have fairly opinionated, strong-willed children. <laughs> yeah. And it was, I, I mean, I watched Lexi labor with the kids and they just, they fought her. Sometimes they, it was great. But sometimes yeah. they just, yeah, like, the they battle of the hard. will is something yeah. that also, I mean, there's, and so like the character development through it all, it tested me. I mean, I, it sharpened me, it challenged me, it humbled me. I mean, there was a lot of personal growth through that process, but when it comes to talking about the, like in, in uh, finding what your student likes and mm -hmm. what are they're good at and what they're not good at. I think back to like when I was in public school and I took history all through high school and I just hated it. I hated the regurgitating yeah. the facts. It was just boring. And just like what I liked most were projects. Cause I could kind of be curious yeah. and follow kind of the deep dive. Right. Yeah. They stopped doing that stuff in like sixth grade. So we did cool projects. It wasn't up, until yeah. college. And then really when I became a Christian and sort of reading, about Christian history on my own. And I was like, oh my goodness, this is fascinating. I know. How did I miss this? Right. So this like thing, yeah. what I think to kind of try to come around is that in homeschooling, it's important to cycle through information because they might not get it the first or second time or third yeah. time. There might be a fourth time where they're like, wait, I finally caught that. Like I get it mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. And it, and it, again, it's not just like the way you present it or it's the dynamic of the child, what they're going through developmentally, what's going on at home, what's going on with friends, what's going mm -hmm. on just with you know, the, 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 their taste at that moment. I mean, yeah. children change so fast right. and it's important to see what they're kind of gravitating toward. So yeah. like I have a friend who's, whose um, child is very, very heavily, deeply drawn to science yeah. and he, you know, he's good at other things too, but man, like science is like in his blood. Yeah. And so I've watched her try to cultivate that in him by just giving him lots of exposure to different kinds of science yeah. and not saying like, oh, you're going to be the science person, but it's yeah. just like, you're interested, let's feed it. Because yeah. again, you're feeding the love of learning. Right. And so once yeah. he's full in the science realm, yeah. who knows what else he'll pursue? Yeah, It's feeding the curiosity. It's encouraging the learning. It's not yeah. putting so many parameters of like, well, it's, that's not for you right now. It's like, well, yeah, yeah. but who said, right. <laughs> like, I don't understand why yeah. we're putting limits on, yeah. on the scope when children yeah. that they're born curious, that's yeah. how they're made. And so yeah. an example with our own kids is like one of our kids got interested in trading stocks because of a youth leader that he had. Really? Yeah. And you know, he's like, he's like 13 or 12 at the time, you know, and we're yeah. like, you know, it's kind of like, well, <laughs> Neither of us really do that. So we don't have any knowledge base yeah. on on trading yeah. stocks or anything. And so we're like, okay. Yeah. I, I like mean, had an account. I'd made a trade here and there. But yeah, that's like Robin thing. Hood or something yeah, like that. It's yeah, not, it's not easy. Like most people lose money. Like yeah. considerable amounts of money. In but, some ways, it's like, I wonder if, if I wondered if that's like gambling. In, in a way, but but here, but here's yeah. the point is both cool. Alexi and I were like, well, okay. Yeah. Uh, how are you going to learn about this? Because right. it's not easy. And right. he's like, well, I'm going to do this. And so he like learns from the youth leader. And then like he's read three economics textbooks at least mm -hmm. he's reading an investing book right now he's like if you can so, be good at that you can be like a yeah you can, 
Well, and I, and like over time, I actually let him start trading my money. So I like, I gave him a few hundred dollars and then I gave him a few thousand dollars. Really? Mm -hmm. And like right now, basically uh, the money I'm a good, like about half the money I made cutting trees, a little bit of money that was given to me for my boat. Yeah. And then I'll basically all of my personal savings, like Lex and I get like $70 a month and like I've saved a, a good bit of that and I've given, he has like free reign. We have a certain contract about like me being financially whole and what percentage he gets if he's above yeah. that. We basically have a, a shortened hedge fund contract. <laughs> but like we it's feel cool. like it's, it's very like, cool because it it indulges that curiosity yeah. and that interest intrinsically. Yeah. And so at least in that area, he he figures out one, how he learns things yeah. two how to pursue things he's interested in, even when it's hard. Yeah. And and then I, I don't know if there's a third one, but sometimes the third ones it, pop up. It so, builds yeah. like a, a, it'll probably build trust in some ways. Build hopefully it doesn't ruin trust. I only like you know, but yeah. like the, the, the build trust between like him learning how to deal with you in some ways as like a client, right? That mm -hmm. could be that's gonna yeah. be like an important thing. Because I'm he like, hey, where'd my money go? Exactly. And he's like, well, okay, here's what's going on with the stocks. Yes, yeah, that, that's the exact same thing my financial advisor does with me. Yeah, you gotta wait it out. Hey, this one's gonna come yeah. back. Here's why we made that decision. Right. Remember our goals. Yes. I mean, he's basically functioning like a financial like, like planner. Financial not because he learned about it at like yeah. Marquette, but because like he's dealing with a client. Yeah. Right. But this has led him to like interest in things like real estate. And are there other yes. ways to make money that are easier than this or different? And yeah. Dude, it, those. Oh, and yeah. and right, like right, our I second wish, child, yeah. our second child also has been interested in wealth creation. I, for some reason, <laughs> our kids are more interested in business than ministry. It seems like, or at least yeah. in the middle two. And at least right now. At least right something now, yeah. that's going to be like necessarily interest. I mean, you're not going to go into, especially in high school, you're not going to be, I, I don't think a lot of high well, schoolers some, Sometimes like, I think Alexia underestimate how much organizational work our kids are licking up off the ground at home. Like she and I, she, I mean, Alexia has been, been like fostering ministries of women, mentoring women and dealing with conflict and organizational questions yeah. and leadership and choices and discernment and talking those through with our kids for years. I've been talking about like budgets and structures and buildings and choices and leaders yeah. and firings right. and hirings. And right. so like, I sometimes we, I don't think we know how much of an organizational leadership yeah. developmental, i.e. business education we've been giving our kids. Yeah. And so naturally, uh, and neither of us have really emphasized that they have to follow in our footsteps. Yeah. And be like us, like a Christian, um, yeah. like a Christian capable That's not good ours therapist or a pastor. That, that, That'd just know. be stupid. God we calls do everybody we do want. I mean, We've talked about our kids about the love of money and that like making yeah. money is a, yeah. can be a very godly thing. Yeah. But also like that's a new stewardship you have before God. And, what do you, and I think they're coming around on that right. relative to the growth of their faith. What do you do about that? Like, like my, okay. So but I don't want to get off track though. To relative to homeschooling, yeah. but here's an example of how <laughs> Alexi and I have been able to foster these loves. And I do think that's an area where if the mom is the lead educator, the dad can help that. Like when a kid gets into an interest yeah. like that, um, even though you might be low context on the rest of the education, yeah. You could get in there. And so I like with Judas stocks, I've taken the lead. I've yeah. given him economics textbooks to read. I've given yeah. him my, my money to trade, but that, that the, freedom, the that creative freedom or, yeah. that he had yeah. comes out of the context that Alexi created with homeschooling. 
that there is time for that. There's, there's openness to it. If he yeah. comes to her and says, Hey, for, for this part of my math curriculum, can I read yeah. this kind of an economics books that goes over certain kinds of financial mathematics? Yeah. And she can go, okay, if that's what you want to do now, you're still gonna have to do these three units of blah, 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 yeah. blah, but you can spend some of your time. Or if you get your math done, I don't have busy work homework for you. So also, get your unit math done and then yeah, you can read that economics right. textbook. So, yeah. so even though I took the lead as the dad yeah. in this side interest, yeah. It's flowing out of the context yeah. and foundation that Lexi's created in the educational environment. Yeah. Right. So, and I, so I, and I you want have to the capacity clear. and capability. You guys have the capability that the public schools or private schools don't have to like. Right. The public school give, can't, you, can't let a kid trade $15,000. Yeah. That you can't give can't them 50 it. bucks or a hundred dollars. Like I didn't right. get that much money, but now the public schools will sometimes do stock simulations in some classes Yeah, but where whatever. kids are trading money. That's not real. Dude, we and would that's do still, those that's not bad. Yeah. I mean, but if you know that there's no risk for me, like part of the high, there is a big some of that stuff. Is and you like, feel the emotional turmoil. Like, why did I emotionally make that trade? I shouldn't be doing this. I talked this over it. with Jude where he's made a trade and later regretted it. Yeah. And he said, so-and-so told me this and I knew I shouldn't listen to them and I didn't go with my gut. Yeah. And I did that thing. That is very different than when Rachel was trading stocks with yeah. the homeschool group and she just went, yeah, I just bought Tesla and won. Yeah. And I, it was like real flippant. Dude. dude okay. So yeah. I'm going to tell you guys a story about school. When I was in school, I took a mass media class in um, Senior year. It was like a joke of a class. I mean, you take it just because you don't want to do anything else. And um, mass media, the big project of the year, we each had our own TV channel. So like ABC, NBC, CBS, you had like 300 different TV shows and we had a draft and you had to draft the TV shows. Mm -hmm. And then, so I went to school at Wanakee, there were about 1500 kids, a uh, huge freshman class. It was like 600 kids. Oh, and then you won based on viewership so, and whether or not you would have So yeah, we slots. drafted. So I was on it. So nobody wanted to be on my team in the, in the class. I don't know why. So I was on a team with like two weird people and I was just like, I'm gonna make all the decisions here. And so I drafted all of the, the shows mm -hmm. and we, you put it on your network, you put it in the time slots, 5 p.m., 7 p.m. The teacher sent these out to all the freshmen and sophomores. It's like That's like a thousand kids or, mm -hmm. or however many kids there is. It's 800. Mm -hmm. And they voted on which channels and which ones that they would watch. And, and the project is supposed to last like 10 weeks. My team won by like several thousand votes in like four weeks and they just took us out of the competition because everybody everybody else took the whole time we just destroyed everybody and i was like that was one of the one of the projects i'll probably remember because it was one of the only ones that i was good at but also mm -hmm. it, it was something that like there was something at stake if i was gonna this is actually being sent to real people and real people are gonna vote on this and so i had to figure out what they are enjoying all my classmates were like oh i like this show and i was like nobody who's 14 is gonna know what that show is so it was interesting mm -hmm. in one way i feel like that's what a public school kind of parallels to what you did where you're giving money to your kid yeah, to but do it's the partly the question of personal attention like so yeah. to bring it back to lexi like like one of the things that happens is it's less diverse. Like these are your kids. Yeah. And there's the question of personal attention. So like, what, Lex, what do you think? Like, yeah. What do you think personal attention has to do with like so what, what benefits and maybe drawbacks does the fact that you could have increased personal attention, like your class size for us was yeah. four, yeah. you know, and per grade it was one. Honestly, personal attention is, is a hot commodity. Um, because it's one of me. And then there's four at very different places yeah. in their learning. And so personal attention, it, it, I think if anything, it, it it's very valuable, highly sought after, and also has to be used very strategically in that you have to realize what your kid needs from you 
and also, um, and also figure out how to tailor their school experience to suit them so they have successes and so that they have wins. So like if the curriculum says you need to do 65 math problems every day in order to get master the program and your students doing those 65 problems for two and a half hours, that's not sustainable. That's yeah. a lose. Like, that's like, no, how about let's do half. And like, we're just going to call that success, mm-hmm. you know, or do every other one. Mm-hmm. And so it, mm-hmm. the, the personalized time yeah. um, is, is important in that way. Um, character development happens over time yeah. and it takes patience. So yeah. I don't Lexi, know if that's... Maybe you could help somebody thinking about homeschooling understand the difference between, you know, if, if a teacher had a classroom of 12 students, but they're all in fourth grade. As opposed to having four students, it's only four students, but they're four different grades. Like, tell a mom what that means to do that. I mean, it means that you have to look at what your assets are and what your resources are and try to monopolize them as much as possible. So for us, it looked like me spending you know, half an hour with our four-year-old or three-year-old in the morning before I started homeschooling because <clears throat> that three-year-old really just wanted my attention and my that quality focus for that little bit of time. Mm-hmm. And when I made that simple adjustment, she was able to play independently and do her learning during the key times when I worked with the other kids in math or science or yeah. Latin or whatever. Um, also, kids worked with one another. So older yeah. kid, you go read with the younger kid, mm-hmm. older kid, you go help the younger kid with math, mm-hmm. um, or talk through this book that you did two years ago, because you've already read it and it's fresh, you know, right. have a conversation. So mm-hmm. it's deploying the resources, looking at it more creatively than just like a unit study, but saying this is an environment of learning yeah. and not putting any limits. Like, you know, we have to do this, this right now. Yeah. Um, okay. So one of the big problems in homeschooling is we have to talk about it is that people and one thing that I'm nervous about, like, how did you make, I know your kids there. I don't think they're weird, but like, I know other kids who have been homeschooled and they're really weird. And so how did you, were you ever nervous about like, they're not socializing with like 500 other kids per day and no understanding. One of the things I'm thankful for in the public schools is that I, I think I learned how to like climb social hierarchies or whatever, because I was around a bunch of my peers all the time. And that's really helpful in what I do now. And I, to socialize and get Mm -hmm. people on the same, on the same team and on the same board and to do something Mm -hmm. like that. So knowing your kid's personality and whether yeah are okay being with having one or two friends versus wanting that wide breadth yeah. of socialization. That's yeah. really important. And I think if you're, if your child has this compulsion towards people, it's really, really crucial to yeah. give them an outlet for that. Yeah. Um, otherwise they'll just get mad Yeah. and, and resentful. Um, how did you, what were those, those outlets that you would use? Honestly in Madison, there, there, there aren't many right now. Yeah. Um, we, we sought out a couple clubs and tried tried those out um and they're full of other homeschool families who are also pretty pretty resource depleted in terms of what they have to offer people outside of their families um kind of real just super quick question yeah did you guys get money from the government for you didn't there's no no voucher we we still pay enormous amounts of money for in property taxes to the public school yeah you don't get any money you get zero yeah yeah. Yeah. So I calculated it out one time in over 12 years, given our four children, if you um, take the value that Lexi created by educating our kids 
and each each kid each year and then you added in our property taxes that we paid to the public school the portion yeah. of that goes to the schools we had made a four hundred and thirty thousand dollar contribution to the county i don't know i don't <laughs> i don't even want to talk about that because that's right. really screwed up i mean i feel a rant because yeah. Alexi was not on. paid <laughs> by yeah. the county right for no. the teaching she did of the yeah. students they would have had responsibility to teach yeah. and we still had to pay for our kids all the curriculum. Yeah. Right. We paid for a system yeah. we didn't use. And so you're we, also paying for it in the sense that you could work think, a job listen, where you're making if, a lot of money. Probably. I think if you homeschool oh, yeah. your kids, you should be able to yeah. just opt out of the public system totally. Yeah, I, I agree. But, but there's that's a different argument. Yeah. So I, I think that I think one of the things that I think well, I do is think important there needs to, to get some accountability um, in that. But in I, the, I think the one of the things that's important yeah. to get across here is that it is difficult to teach kids that are like doing four different grades. It would think like, well, it's only three kids. Like that, well, that's the smallest class size in the world. Yeah, but you're 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 what you're doing is Lexi didn't just teach four kids. She taught four different classes. Yeah, that had one kid. Mm-hmm. No, and more then, than four classes. Or well, no, subjects. at a time. And, yeah, classes. Well, meaning, yeah. and then she's she so she's trying to do what the old one room schoolhouses did is then you've got these kids at these different developmental levels. To what extent can they co-educate each other? Yeah, right. Which is, I think, a really great yeah. thing yeah but, and it, also, but like yeah. sometimes i think homeschool people a mom a mom might think okay if a teacher has 24 students yeah. and i have three yeah i mean surely that's not hard yeah and it's like yeah, yeah but you've got three classes of one because in a way you're doing three different curriculums you're right. not teaching the exact same when thing. you're in high school or even in, in grade school i mean a lot of the there's teachers that are more specialized. In high school, you have a teacher who's just a history teacher, a math teacher who does the same stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, being a you're the te- you're the math, history, science, and everything yeah. else teacher for every grade K through twelve, mm-hmm. and that's pro- like that the the wide range of stuff you have to know is, is you probably have to know a little bit more like that's a good that's a good point yeah. in that i think a lot of parents are tempted to want to think they need to be experts on what they're teaching because yeah, that's kind of how that. the classic traditional schooling is organized um what really helped me is to realize i don't have to be an expert i just have to be a few steps ahead. Yeah. Um, in, in classical conversations, they call it the lead learner, yeah. the one who's just pursuing learning and the knowledge and understanding. And so you're setting an example of being curious and always pursuing knowledge and understanding yeah. and saying, listen, what is an expert anyway? So yeah. I can talk like I know something, but I could be wrong. And so it's yeah. look at it differently. Like we're all learning here together and you actually might find out something I don't know. And it's not yeah. disrespectful to question me. It's just, it's part of the conversation, yeah. right? It's part of us learning together. Right. And and so I had to reorder my thinking and my approach in that. And also yeah. I will say individually, individual learning is a large component, especially as the child gets older, where they sit down with content. Mm-hmm. And like, I think if, if our kids were here, that would be one thing they would say that was really hard about homeschooling mm-hmm. was having to teach themselves yeah. things like it was, well, it's not like I sit down and I explain a bunch of stuff. Like a lot of the curriculum walks them through and they have to read yeah. it and they have to wrestle with yeah. it and they yeah. have to pay attention. And it's not, they can't hide. They can't yeah. float through. They, they can't yeah. like they get, get tested reading comprehension and, every minute, you know? Yeah. And it's, so, yeah. and they look back and they're like, Oh, that was so hard. I'm so glad that's over. You right. know? And like, it makes, I mean, college isn't easy, but they have everything they need to succeed yeah. because high school really challenged them to, to do this self-learning yeah. um, that 
And I'm not saying public schools don't do that. Um, I think that there are some really, really beneficial things about the systems public schools have in place in terms of enrichment, Mm -hmm. like music and art and theater and different clubs like that, where homeschooling that, you know, it's really like the bare bones. It's like, what are the priorities here? And we're going to major on the majors and the minors. We'll see. (laughs) It may or may not happen, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, I I, I do want to add though, though, like Lexi, had like Jude did drawing, I would come home and the kids would be painting watercolors. Doing projects. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Alexi was very energetic and diverse. And, but also Alexi is like most people who know Alexi are like, Oh wow. Alexi's a really great person. But like Alexi is a little strange. Oh, yeah, Alexi's also a little strange. And like yeah. one of the things that's true about both of us is yeah. we've done a lot of different things. Yeah. So Alexi is an incredible um, clarinet player. Right. Oh wow! I and she she studied science in college. Yeah. Then she did a master's in theology that was really heavy in history. Right. So like, if you track down, and now you're doing the psychology, right? Uh, psychology. Yeah. Right. So like, yeah. if you look at her life, it's she's she's like not an expert in anything, but she knows a lot of things. Much higher level also than very the average person. In so a lot in of some them. ways, yeah. she's like a really a really model homeschool mom yeah but like but she's also correct that like she's also seen like other moms that were lead learners that would have yeah. said i don't even know if i could do this like there's a mom who we tried to get on this but she was on her anniversary trip yeah. who doesn't have a college degree yeah she she, she cut has hair. she has two year she has she a two, has year. two year. but she doesn't yeah. have like a four-year like liberal arts degree you know yeah. um and but yet like she's a lead learner she yeah. was a tutor i mean yeah. she's and, and she's an I, excellent so this this gets teacher. at this gets at a, a significant Issue, Excellent. which I think is mm-hmm. that one. I'm, this is a question for you, Alexi. Is you know, like over the last 150 years, there's been IQ inflation in the human race generally of about 15 points. Really? And so, yeah. And, and like once you cross about 110, it's really hard to be happy doing super highly repetitive things. And so, there's this this is a problem for women who are staying home, especially now that they're mostly a lot of them are college educated. 150 years ago, when all of our IQs were 100 points lower, and you were and I were lifting 100 points. No, I'm sorry, 15 points lower, okay. and you and I were lifting heavy crap all day long until our backs broke, and that's just what we knew, and it didn't bother us. And women did all these things at home, and it just didn't bother them. These repetitive, non non growth, mentally grotesque. Now what you've got, you've got these really brilliant women who are having children, which is great. Who are saying, "What do I do for?" This? So, like, I, I in one sense, I think Alexi partly felt like homeschooling made being a stay-at-home mom a lot more mentally interesting she read stuff she was learning she was teaching stuff instead of just like doing things to care for children and just trying to be nurturing and so like i i think there were times where i think that part of it was i don't know if it was a a really strong part of the initial motivation but i think making being a stay-at-home mom much more intellectually engaging and mentally interesting yeah that this was a significant advantage there. Yeah. So what do you think about that? Lex? was that a big thing for you or did you find that to be the case that being a stay home mom was more interesting when you were, do- when you became the teacher? So this is true about me, but a lot of, um, homeschooling moms and dads, um, say this as they progress through the learning and through the years is that they find themselves reclaiming their education. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, where they had experiences like you, Andy, where high school just really kind of was a big wash. Yeah. It's like, well, I, I did it, but I didn't really come away with much. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so through the process of 
being the lead learner and saying, I'm responsible to teach these kids. I better kind of get my, my grounding here. And then it ignites that curiosity of like, Oh, there's a greater purpose Mm -hmm. that there's that intrinsic interest that draws me towards this. I'm going to, and then in the midst of all of it, there's kind of this, like, um, this like fizzy lifting drink of, of educational excitement. Like, Oh, there's so much to know and learn. And it's, and Mm -hmm. it all is coming together. And the Mm -hmm. the fabric of it is so complicated. And it's not just like, sit down, do the worksheet, put a check on the bar, you know, Mark, and then get your a it's, it's so much better. And Mm -hmm. so the excitement kind of Mm -hmm. begins to, to, I think, transfer to the children in a way that it's like, Oh, this is our family culture now. You know? And, and I will say kind of just as a, an aside that not homeschooling is not for every family. It doesn't have to be, it's not right or wrong. And you can still model being curious and being a lead learner and cultivating your child's love of learning um, apart from the school. But, but it requires the parents to make value choices mm-hmm. about what they believe their their kids um, will do well to spend time on. Yeah. So like putting them in a bunch of activities mm-hmm. right after school does not afford your child that opportunity to be curious and learn. Like yeah. our youngest, mm-hmm. um, partially because she's highly strong-willed and doesn't like to to do things she's not interested in, yeah. um, which again, like I'm not going to force that. Like sometimes I'll be like, you know what, just try it. You might like it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes she does. And sometimes she doesn't, yeah. mm-hmm. but her, she has such an imagination where yeah. she's like got multiple characters going on in her head. And yeah. she's like completely content, mm-hmm. um, to explore and to, to be curious about yeah. the world in a way that maybe someone who's highly scheduled mm-hmm. in their family and in their lives just may not have the time to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so there's value, value assessments along the way in a family. Like, what do we want to cultivate here? Yeah. How do we want to build this family so that we're, we're kind of generating this, like this, this kind of interest in beyond just what we're kind of told to do yeah. by the culture. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So I know I, I, we're kind of running out of time with Lexi because she only has an hour to give us today. Yeah. So there's two things I, I, I would say, I say one thing quick, just generally. And if you want to comment, go ahead. And then I want to get into something that we probably people thought we were going to spend the whole time talking about. We haven't even talked about yet, which is spiritual integration. And, and I was just right? going to bring that up. So yeah. one, I, I want to say this, one of the drawbacks in the modern, in the modern moment we're in right now is the relationship of technology to homeschooling, yeah. which is, a lot of the stuff you may use in homeschooling may be digita- digital and you yeah. may be letting your kids use computers to do their learning. And that creates a difficult supervisional environment mm-hmm. where if your kid has access to Wi-Fi and a computer and yep. they're at home and they're doing their work quote on their own, sometimes it can be hard to figure out whether or not they're just watching the office season after season and not doing their work. And not that Is that, that- <laughs> happened here. But like, but like it's, it's very, I mean, like a kid literally has YouTube right there or yeah. whatever. And and it's not technologically super easy to like tell your Wi-Fi system to only let in Khan Academy, you know? Yeah. And so I, I found that to be difficult because, because it seemed like, you know, it, these kids, these distractions are coming into your home mm-hmm. for your kids yeah. and that's really difficult. And yeah. so mm-hmm. I, I, that, that's just something that I think it's hard to manage. So, but the second thing is Lex, we haven't talked about this and yep. is I think a lot of people are like, well, wait, didn't you do this so that your kids would be Christian? I mean, didn't you do this? Cause you didn't want them yeah. to be unchristianized in the public system yes. and that you did want them to learn their faith from yes. you at home. Right. And yeah. the answer is, Oh yeah, that's a very significant part of why we did yeah. this. That's the whole reason that, well, one that you guys said, but that's the whole reason why we started this education series is right. because we there's questions about like, I think, I think more Christians right now are, they're less focused on like 
it feels like they're less focused on the educational piece of education where like making sure your kids are the brightest and the best and they're more focused on that their kids come out of their home at 18 years old as solid christians because that's not happening the question is indoctrinational rather than for rather than like formational right yeah or as a student yes or a learner yeah Yeah. now as we said before this is true that like our kids were at high point christian school right and they were memorizing bible verses they were being taught about god right and so we, that w- wasn't the driving force for us because we had access to Christian education. Yeah. So we had made the choice to put our kids in Christian education. Right. Yeah. But the reason we moved to homeschooling had more yeah. to do with family cohesion, me having a relationship with our kids. Yeah. And then later on, I mean, when Lexi first got started in classical conversations, it was partly because she said that she felt like the classical model was a better education, especially in the mm-hmm. younger years of education. Mm-hmm. And I think that was true. As she yeah. got, we got to the older years of education, she got a little more fluid with it. Yeah. And she could say whether that was a change in her philosophy or whether that's just as you get into the integrative and rhetorical stages, that's fine. Yeah. You know, but I think that, um, but I think that is a question for people like choosing homeschooling rather than sending kids to the government schools. Yeah. Because either you don't feel like you can afford the private school or one isn't accessible or you don't want to use it for some reason. Yeah. I have so many opinions about this. Yeah. Um, Because I do think one of the reasons why homeschoolers have this like reputation for being weird is that they're not socialized and they're kind of kept in this bubble. And I think the other side of that is that parents are so fearful of what might happen that they protect their children from things that they actually need to let them explore and let them discover. Mm -hmm. And like, that's hard when your heart is walking around out on the sidewalk and going around people that you know are likely not going to be the best influence. And I'm talking more of like middle school, high school here, because that's Mm -hmm. where I'm at right now. Like when they're younger, I I do think it's important to make sure we're cultivating that like foundational, that foundational faith. Um, but I just, I, and, and, and also it puts the responsibility on the parents to be substantive yeah. Christians where they're evaluating their faith. They're working towards their own sanctification and they're yeah. not just telling their kids what to do, but they're actually modeling doing it, it and themselves. doing it themselves. Yeah. And I don't, you know, no, there's no like, there's no like prescriptive way to accomplish this. Mm-hmm. It is, it is a pursuit of like self-checking and also realizing what are my fears and also what does my kid need? And so if I, through high school, am like trying to continue to protect them from the world, Mm -hmm. it is going to be a massive disservice Mm -hmm. to them as they exit and go out on their own. Um, and, and I just, I'm, I'm more about trying to, I want to face my own fears. I want to call out my own biases that really have no weight and I want to try to live my life in such a way that that is continual. I'm constantly hitting the refresh button. Like, okay, why don't I want them to go here? Like, is it just fear-based or is there Mm -hmm. a true concern is for their safety? Cause they're Mm going to have to figure out how to interact and intersect with all kinds of stuff that is considered like, you know, dangerous. not Christian yeah. or dangerous yeah. or yeah. inappropriate about like, yeah. or like with friends physically also like with mm-hmm. ideas too. Everything. And things like that. Yeah. For Everything. me, the ideas mm-hmm. thing is way more of a problem than the friends thing. I mean, I, I think that, but I think both are an issue in homeschooling because yeah. one of our kids said to us that they had really hard, really hard time making friends. And we were like, you were in speech. You were in a class a day a week. You were in sports. You like you go to a church with more than a thousand people. You were in a youth group. And that kid 
was still disappointed with essentially the choices of friendships. Like Hmm. they just didn't find a bosom friend in that group. Yeah. Now, whether that, that child is overly critical of other people or not, I mean, I don't know, but, but then other, our other kids, one, we have one kid who's like, there's more people than they care for, Hmm. you know? And, and then there's, you know, but I, I think that like, I, one thing is, is that happens is as kids are coming into, especially in their teenage years, they want, they want to feel mentally and emotionally like they're, they're expanding. Yeah. Like you have to be expanding at that age. Right. Right. And so if the homeschool environment doesn't feel expansive, like intellectually and formationally, yeah, that is going to trigger fear in them and, and maybe anger and like, they're going to feel like they're being held back. Yeah. From something that is critically important, which is partly a connection to their peers approval, but it's partly just, they should be creatively hungry at that point in their life. And so if you have this like semi-fundamentalist constrained Christian culture kind of deal where like the main education is what's wrong with everything, then what happens is, is that it goes against a good developmental part of them and you're actually squeezing their heart in a way that's like really bad for them as a human being developing. And it also doesn't help with their faith because their, their faith really should be expansive. They should be starting to like reconceptualize things in their faith. Yeah as the world gets more complicated. Yeah. And if that doesn't happen, then y- yeah, you can get that, like that whip back effect yeah. where they like jump way over to the other side or they like, Which they choose their friends over yeah. their family and then they just suck right. in all, all their friends. Ideological the ideas. ultra conservative, mm-hmm. more super reformed right. parents be like, I have no idea. I taught my kids all the right things. And then they go off to college and they totally, they, they went right. crazy progressive. Right. And, and I think what and you're now saying, it's happening much younger because of YouTube yeah, right? I, and I, podcasts. Because they yeah. can get all that they can other get all culture, whatever they want, yeah. right? Because they can still socialize themselves digitally, even yeah. if you won't let them, unless you have control over them digitally. But if you exert that much control, yeah. then you really are playing your hand really strong yeah. on the kid itself, and then it tends to, then that expansive impulse yeah. tends to get really stultified, yeah. and the drive, the drive to rebel is actually rooted in a deep human need, yeah. not just in a rebellious spirit. Does yeah. that make sense? And if you're, yeah. if you've been cultured by that Christian fundamentalist spirit yeah. to just see rebellion everywhere where a kid is trying to branch out, yeah. then you're just going to tamp down on it because yeah. you're trying to get them to repent and understand that they need to submit. <laughs> yeah. And, but then they realize they've got to let, they've got to crush their personality to do it. Yeah. And they'll either, they'll do one of two things. Either they'll fight you to not allow their personality to get crushed and they'll move away then or later, like in their thirties or forties or fifties, yeah. they'll end up being like, what did I do? I yeah. was abused by the church. Blah, blah, blah. I did, wasn't able to become a person. Yeah. And I think that's probably a little bit more true of women than men, but I think that it's, I think it's true. Both sexes. Yeah. I want to like to add a little bit on top of that, that I think relates to it is that I think, I think what it can also do, it feels like what, what, ha- what is happening in those situations that you're like, you're destroying the desire for exploration and and to kind of explore the world and different ideas and i think that what that can do because one thing that i've been frustrated with with like calvinists um extremely reformed conservative fundamental people and churches is that they've like made god god's character into a like a formula and like here's the five aspects of god's character and here's the god's character in this order of most important to least important and uh, like 
sovereignty to goodness to like and then they like go down the list and it's like this is what's most important this is what's least important and i don't know maybe there's like there's probably some good theology behind it but in some ways i think if i grew up in a church like that which i kind of did in some ways but that that would have just obliterated my my desire to ever know anything about god Mm -hmm. because it makes god into this like formula that you can figure him out i think part one of the things that when you read the bible you realize that it's really difficult to figure god out because he's extremely complex so that's one thing that i I, it's not hard to obey him if you'll take him at his word yes but if you go beyond that to try to figure him out then it is very difficult yeah so lexi i I think the thing we're trying to riff on here is 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 socialization is so like the world is is full of worldliness yeah which is corrosive to Christian faith. Yeah. But the world is full of creation and exploration and yeah. personality growth and all that kind of What's stuff. What's the balance? That you, what yeah. do you feel like you've learned about that over these years of like helping adolescent children moving through homeschooling? What have you learned the hard way or the, or yeah. felt like you got right about trying to help kids navigate that expansive part of their life? Helpfully. I was, if I had to like build a hierarchy, it would be first to listen to them and try to understand them and what they're saying instead of trying, instead of assuming that I automatically know what they're thinking and have the answer, Mm -hmm. um, especially when they're like middle school, high school, but even before that, um, you know, the, the, when we say something, we are testing whether or not we believe it. And whether or not it makes sense. Mm -hmm. And then as we experiment with that throughout our lives, it become Mm -hmm. we beginning to build who we are and what our makeup is. And so whether it's your homeschooling or whether you've got kids in public or private school, um, for teenagers, especially cultivating, giving them space to cultivate their own faith is giving them space to ask questions and to, to discover on their own and also to challenge. And instead of trying to correct them and like shove them back into like, the box that you think they should, should be in, um, is to let them kind of wander around a little bit Mm -hmm. and, and just, and be there as they run into things Mm -hmm. and say, Hey, you know, that that actually didn't work out or the way, the way that I understand it. And like the authority kind of comes through, but in a respectful way, because Mm -hmm. what they want more than anything is to be heard be listened to be recognized and not, you know, be, poo-pooed or dismissed because they're students. Yeah. Um, there is this kind of weird like zone of um, high schoolers and even college students kind of being caught in limbo and not really growing up. They just kind of are caught in this, like this, this youthfulness. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's this like yeah. five, six years where like, they just kind of like are, are there and their parents are still kind of taking care of them. Mm-hmm. It's like, but are, are you really supposed to be taking care of them right now? I feel yeah. like this, this process of them becoming independent yeah. starts in your home. Yeah. And, the, and so that when you send them so off when, and yeah, they leave, right. you're like, okay, like I did, yeah. I did what I thought, would prepare them and right. they're going to learn a lot on their own. And also yeah. they've got a lot to, to draw from yeah. if they want to. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think that would be probably my main thing is just, is to listen, is to, mm-hmm. to talk less, listen more and be present with them as they discover. Um, Cause you know, as we get older, we kind of, the time and the wisdom and the investments that we've made, it becomes clearer. And so we're like, Ooh, ooh I finally got it figured out. I'm so excited. Yeah. Let me tell you yeah. what I finally think. And you know, that that's appropriate sometimes, but most of the time it's, yeah. um, it's, it's, it's destructive it to yeah. the relationship, um, yeah. and to the ability yeah. to speak into their lives in a way that's 
spiritually enriching. Yeah. Um, you and know, why are they going to listen to you about yeah. what you have to say about God when you're not willing to listen to them about what they think about social media or their friend situations or, mm-hmm. you know, what, what they're thinking about, you know, culturally. Um, yeah. Some of the arguments like Lex and I have had over this is where one of us watches the other one talk to the kids and it's like, yeah, you listen to them, but I don't think you really heard what they were saying before you responded. And so then your response didn't really take into account the thing they were really saying. And so you didn't reach that kid in that conversation. Yeah. And I, it's so easy to observe when you're the th- other person listening to the two talk. Yeah. Um, but it's sometimes it's hard because you're trying to formulate, you, you want to like lead them to orthodoxy or whatever. You yeah. Know? But you're, the, you're like, you need to hear not just that they're saying, I think social media isn't totally bad. They're, pro- they're making a specific point about social media. Yeah. And you got to hear that point they're making. They're just co- coding it in like in some in immaturity. They're co- coding well, the specific point. But like point. They're, what they're saying is like, mm-hmm. hey, with social media, I am interacting with my friends. Yeah. And I use Snapchat yeah. more than Instagram right. because it's really mainly about connecting with my friends, not looking at like uh, obscenely slim models. Yeah. And so when you say yeah. it's ruining my self image, I think you're assuming I only look at Instagram and I'm not really getting right. this other positive thing out of Snapchat. Right. Yeah. Now, there is an argument for that. That is that yeah. the interactions you're having on Snapchat are also bad for you, yeah. even though in some ways they're allowing you to connect with your friends. Right. That's a, but that's a different argument. If you just go, yeah, well, but studies just show that a 15 year old girl uses blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But like you at least have to start with the argument they're making yeah, and, and move say, okay, that. like we're having an argument with our son right now who like, he's likes to play video games. And he's really good at them and he wants to play them for hours. Well, how much should a kid play and what should it be? And how do, how do we make him fall in love with things that are in real life? And like, if we just say, I mean, so we've been struggling like, okay, how much do we listen here? And how much do we say this just isn't appropriate? Yeah. That's a big question. Mm-hmm. I, I, I feel like and, I'm scared. Cause I, I think yeah. I run into the like <clears throat> right. crazy, I'm like nuts. So I think right. I'm going to tell so my kid inclusion, no. In so with the inclusion of YouTube yeah. where they can go out and get any opinion yeah. in the world to critique you it's, and then we live yeah. in a world where everybody's a critic oh, right because we're all consumers yeah so not. your kids are being taught implicitly by the culture to criticize you more than more than the 60s more than even the boomers criticize more their than parents. anything they're they're getting information that they right. would have never been able to get so their whole in whole of human history right. they wouldn't have been able to get so maybe it. it's a so, different conversation about if youtube should somehow be limited in your, coming into your house but the larger question is you better be ready to be nitpicked and criticized by your kids when they go through their sophomoric stage of say 17 to 24, yeah. at least. Um, and there'll be some things you'll be like, yeah, you're right about that criticism, but you better believe, you better know, you believe that when that day comes, you, you actually served them pretty well. Yeah. You know, I yeah. mean, yeah, it's important to like give yourself and like you, it's your first round, right? So like you, you just yeah. do your best and you right. think you're doing the best and it might actually do harm. Yeah. And I think it's important mm-hmm. to recognize like, oh, that, that actually was harmful or, yeah. or it really was certainly not the best I could have done now that I know what I know. Yeah. And that mm-hmm. part of, of like just reflection is really important for our kids to see. Yeah. So they see like, oh, it, my parents are not all knowing beings. Like mm-hmm. God is that. Or and, they don't think that they are. 
Yeah. <laughs> right. And they don't think right. that they are. Right? Do you ever and, apologize to your kids? Yes. That's the I thing. Do. That, oh, yeah. You have that, to. Yeah. yeah. No, I yeah. know. It's they just, can't become Christians if you want to apologize to them. Or ask for forgiveness. You can't yeah. tell a kid that the heart of our relationship with God is going to, a big part of it is going to be repentance. And forgiveness. Yeah, if right. you don't repent. Yeah. You aren't willing to admit like, oh, I did offend you. Mm-hmm. I didn't mean it or I was insensitive. And also I recognize it hurt you. And I'm yeah. sorry that hurt you. I Yeah. Because I, it's loving too, right? Yeah. Because you're saying, I right. didn't want to hurt you. Like that idea that I mean, your parents it, love yeah. you. Right. Right. But then there's also the issue of if you won't repent when they're right. Yeah. What you're telling them is though your religion teaches that truth is more important than power. In this house, power is more important than truth. That's what you're teaching them. Because I have the power to not apologize. Yeah. Right. But if my kid is right and I have done something objectively, they're not just nitpicking and being rebellious. They're actually saying, you did this. That's wrong, dad. Yeah. And I go, how dare you talk to me that way? Right? Yeah. What I'm saying is power is more important than truth, it which re- is the last thing you want to teach a kid if you yeah. want them to be a believer because right. the, like the basis of Christ's Christian life was, was not to for power. Right. He could have killed us all. Yeah. He could have right. done anything he wanted power wise, but he, he invited us to the truth. I, I think it, it relates to this, the verse in first or second Peter. I'm going to just, just probably not get this verse right. And you're going to know what it is, but I, I'll just say, um, and it's it's talking about husbands and wives and it's saying that wives should like submit to their husbands even if their husbands aren't being um like obeying god or being like in good relation to god so that they can um in some way be, be a good example do you guys you know what i'm talking about yeah it specifically means it is, is, is focused on an unbelieving husband yeah yeah and it says that that the husband may be won over by their good behavior B- good behavior yeah. and it's, so I, it's important to recognize that yeah. the rest of the verse says that husbands need to be very careful on how they treat their wives, especially yeah. in their role of femininity. What he, Peter refers to as being the weaker vessel. Yeah. That is the softer, kinder, like more nurturing. You, yeah. you can't treat that with brutality. Yes. And if you do that, God won't hear your more prayers. Fra- that fra- is, fra- you will break. If you don't rec- recognize yeah. how you're supposed to treat your wife, God will break the structure of his nurturing relationship towards you in your relationship of prayer to him. Yes. Right. So, so it's a really important. So yeah. there's the caveat for men there. That's really yeah. important. I wasn't. Yes. And that's, that's good to, to say so that people don't <clears throat> make a bunch of opinions. Cause all I was trying to do is, is, is relate that then to parenting in some ways to be like, as a parent taking the place of who the wife would be in that scenario where your, your obedience to God and all the things that you do in, in, yeah. in forgiveness or asking forgiveness and repentance, even with your kids, because they don't, they're not born Christian. So like mm-hmm. they, they're gonna, you can win them over in that way. And I think a lot of parents that are Christian parents yeah. don't, they don't want to apologize to their kids. It was like a long time till I heard my parents apologize to me. And it was, I mean, like, I don't know. A lot of my friends don't have parents who will ever say sorry. Mm-hmm. And I am I think that a lot of this, like, Christian kids totally rebelling against their parents in college and going, like, f- like swinging the pendulum the other to the other side of things. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of that could be made up for if the boomers and Gen Xers, like, sat their millennial and Gen Z kids down and was like, yeah, we ma- like, we're really sorry we made some mistakes and we want to work through these things. I think that the kids would be like, I think that would just be like a culture shock for my entire generation. Mm-hmm. And they wouldn't even know what to well, do about it. Would it. Do, it would do very little harm. And yeah. maybe a lot of good. Yeah. It may not solve all the problems. As many defections, think, yeah. but it would be a, it would be, be a start. It would certainly be for the spiritual good of the parents. Yeah. You know, and probably and for, for the, the psychological kids. good of the kids. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
And, and it would bring and it would bring that relationship closer to then if you want to win these kids back to Christ, now you have a real chance at it. You're not going to have a chance if you're going to be stubborn about being wrong. And I think that this, it's very hard to admit that you're wrong to somebody who won't admit they're wrong. Yeah. And if then the conflict you think of, they're going to use it and then against if the conflict you. of your yeah. kid becomes that they've rejected your faith. Right. Right. And then you won't admit you're wrong. How are they ever going to admit that they're wrong about that rejection of your faith? Yeah. They're, it's very hard for them psychologically. So yeah, you got to. You got to do that. Sometimes so it's hard. Sometimes yeah. it's hard to know what to apologize for, though. Yeah. Like if your kid's like, my whole childhood is one one long train of abuses. You know, it's hard to know what. What but is, that gets back to what Lexi yeah. said is, can you get them to talk and can you really listen? Yeah. Because I think one of the reasons a lot of parents don't repent or apologize is because they've never really listened to their kids' complaint, hmm. and they've assumed within Christian categories that all all we do is expressions of depravity. Right. And not deeply human expressions of bearing the image of God. Well, and it is expressive. And your kid's complaint right. could be either of those yeah. or a mixture of the two. And, and you've got to listen right. for that expression of the divine image, not just the expression of. Well, and depravity. if you want to only look at it as the expression of depravity, you can do, you could potentially do that. For do yourself that too, in the sense honest. that, right, you, you are a perpetrator of sin. And so you probably perpetrated sin on your kid. So you should listen to how you did that to them because you're depraved. Yeah. But the problem is that they don't look at it as they're the depraved being. They look at it as everybody else is the depraved being. So they yeah. can't. You, Lexi has a lot of good rants on Christian subculture and pseudo fundamentalism and therefore the parental hypocrisy it creates and the um, emotional. Um, disinterest we show when yeah. we fall into that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know if she can do the ball in this podcast, but <laughs> I mean, I, I would add that Christian legalism, it's just, it's, it's easy to slip into that yeah. because it can. So, because we crave those like rules and laws, like Israel craved like a, a king, a king yeah. and mm -hmm. all they had were judges who just like, kind of like, yeah. yes, no, yes, no. And some were even junk. So yeah. like the kids will, kids will crave that, like that leadership and that direction. And mm -hmm. they want yeah. to follow their parents and they want to be like their parents. Yeah. And, and then when they begin to start questioning developmentally, yeah. well, why is, why is it like that? Why is that like that? Like fifth, sixth yeah. grade, mm -hmm. then all of a sudden you start to get a lot of conflict yeah. and then the parent goes, Oh, I need to restrict. I need to make it tight. I need to like yeah. put it in a box to show them what's yeah. right, what's wrong, what's right, what's wrong. And at that point, that's literally the opposite of what they're trying of to what figure they, out. Yeah. They need, yeah. right. They need like, is there gray area? I think I'm ready to think about gray area versus yeah. like the white and black kind of yes, no, that yeah. they, they developmentally have when they're like up yeah. through six, seven, you know, years old. Well, one thing I've old. noticed in the yeah. last couple of years, and now I'm like 23 and not that I'm very old, but I'm just had a birthday, but I'm 23 mm -hmm. and one thing that I've noticed is that I feel like a lot of people's lives have led them to a place of like an ideology, like this like box that they've put themselves inside of. And I don't think I want to be like that when I'm like 50 or 40 or even 30, but mm -hmm. I also can see how I could become like that. And I think that's to your point. If you, if you don't, I don't know. It's, it's weird. What it like, does is it exposes like, our weaknesses when yeah. our kids start to question or exposes the areas that we haven't kind of yeah. been sanctified in. You and so we look to cover it up. Yeah. We look to protect ourselves. Yeah. And so we're like, no, it's this and this alone. And yeah. if mm -hmm. you just would listen to me and do it that yeah. way, it'll all work out. Yeah. And that's the opposite of what they need. It's yes, I'm working mm -hmm. on this too. And you yeah. brought up a really good observation that I'm right. not perfect in this area and it's hard. And yeah. you know, so and what 
are the things to do so, okay, and so, not to do? I so don't... my sweet wife has given us some more know, time than she promised. Yeah, I know. So I, gotta, I, gotta, I just want to say, so I think it would be worth doing yeah. a podcast on mental heuristics because yeah. all human, I mean, you'd have to have an IQ in the 200s somewhere to not have an ideology. Everybody has to have a set of like principled yeah. places by which they use them structurally to make decisions. Everybody is ideological in that sense. Can I say something about homeschooling? Yeah, so, yes, so yes, I'm just trying to. I'm saying yeah. like that's a really big topic. So yeah, so what what Aunt more do you want to say about homeschooling? Huh. So I would say one beautiful advantage of homeschooling, if you're willing to step into it in the spiritual aspect of discipleship, mm-hmm. is allowing yourself to be kind of laid bare and and to some extent for some flayed open like you know you're with your kids all the time Mm -hmm. and the time of testing and refining is it will happen Mm -hmm. and are you willing to step into that and let your kids see you for who you are who you actually are versus Mm -hmm. like what you've what measures you've put in place to to manage your behavior and your temper and your you know your desire to want to waste time or gossip or whatever like all these things are going to be kind of fleshed out or you'll just erect a system of legalism that helps you function Mm -hmm. enough to survive Mm -hmm. and i would say there's a really rich spiritual opportunity to discover Mm -hmm. um a deeper relationship with jesus and a deeper relationship with your kids Mm -hmm. in the process process. Um, and it's an an enormous, it's an enormous step to be vulnerable, um, and to be exposed for, for who we really are. Um, and, and that's, I mean, so it's not just like, let's just educate the kids. It's like a full body, mind, spirit encounter and homeschooling um, provides that in a way that I hadn't discovered when they were in kind of public school or private school it yeah. just it, it gives you it carves out that time that space yeah. where in other ways it it doesn't as much yeah it's still possible mm-hmm. but it doesn't as much yeah i feel like alexi has mothered our children so much more personally yeah than if we would have utilized schooling systems yeah and they would have gone away for eight hours a day i mean lexi could have done so many other things yeah. for the church and for women and we've i mean we've left probably at least $500,000 of wealth, probably at this point in our life, more like a quarter million or a million dollars of wealth on the table. Or three quarter million. Yeah. I mean, at least that much um, over these years. But like, but they, they, these, are the choice, okay, though, these are the like, choices you make. Yeah. Right. right. Like, and like, it's okay that if when moms want to go to work and they choose the career, mm-hmm. I mean, that's, yeah. that's okay. Yeah. It's, it's, right. each of us is accountable yeah. for our decisions right. and right. for our choices and for yeah. the things that we put in place for our children. And that's, yeah. it's mothers yeah. and fathers both. And, yeah. you know, the, the way our lives panned out is Nick's career in ministry, um, demanded a large amount of time from him. And I valued time with our children more than I valued going out and getting um, a job or building my career. And we could afford to do it. Yes, we cut lots of corners and we took cheap vacations and mm-hmm. ate beans and rice three times a week early in the early days. Like, so there were definite sacrifices. And also there's this like, it's just, it was the choices that I made and I made sacrifices all along the way, but like that's parenthood. That's yeah. what you do. Mm-hmm. you look at your kid and you say, okay, like this is mm-hmm. the next generation. There's a lot that I'm going to say no to that feels good to me so that I can pour it into them. Yeah. Um, and it's not a perfect thing. Like no, sometimes yeah. we mess up and, and it doesn't choices go well. are big in parenting. Like the, like these choices you make to like live in one city versus another, who's going to work, who's not going to work. Mm-hmm. All, I mean, all those choices are like, really enormous and so we can be really defensive about them yeah um 
And I, I certainly don't know that it's wrong for a second parent to go to work. Yeah. Um, I think it's new in the history of the world. I think that it's produced questionable results society wide. Yeah. But I do think that like, it's, t I mean, it's really hard to live in Madison for the vast majority of families. It's extremely difficult to contemplate living in Madison without two incomes. If I, I think if I had to challenge um, a mom, cause I'm a mom um, and a dad too, probably I would challenge them that, you know, when, if their choice is to have a dual income and to take advantage of the the systems provided for them for their children in public mm -hmm. school or private school or, you know, corporate sports and things like that. I would, I would challenge them pretty much over and over to have conversations with their children that were beyond the day to day. How's it going? How's it doing? Like, what do you, you know, mm -hmm. but like the deep questions of like, you know, where, you know, what do you, what do you value? What's important to you? Yeah. Why, what do you think about today? Like to know them, to really make a concerted effort. So if it, what happens is when parents do that, well, they don't have a lot else going on in their lives. Mm -hmm. Like they have their job and then they have their parenting because mm -hmm. parenting takes a lot of effort and to, to kind of, to, to put that out to other areas mm -hmm. and say, well, they'll do a good job. Like they're a Christian school. Like they, they can educate my yeah. kid. It's like, yeah. well, I mean, probably, and also don't give up the beautiful privilege you have yeah. of raising these children and knowing them as human beings, yeah. you mm -hmm. know, and mirroring what I think the father wants of us out of, yeah. as a relationship and mm -hmm. to know us and for us to know him. Yeah. And that can't happen without the time carved out to yeah. be the knowing, like the yeah. teach them the ways, walk along the road, talk yeah. about God's laws and his mm -hmm. ways and like explore what it means to be a human being. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I feel like it's harder. Yeah. It's harder to live out the Shema if you've got a much more limited amount of time with your kids. Yeah. Well, and I also feel like in the current society and I'll, I'll close after well, we can wrap it up like after this, but I feel like I, in the current society that we live in, the, the difference that you can make if you spend more time with your kids and help them develop that healthy relationship between you and them, that is going to make them into like, in some ways, like a, a really great leader in their generation by default, because our, my generation and the kids younger than me have horrible relationships with their parents and family, and they have broken homes and they're really screwed up. Mm -hmm. And your kid, if you put, if you invest the right time and, and invest the right resources into them, they can, they can actually like probably more so than any other time in human history be the like a great leader or, or like a, a great influence to people um whereas in the past there's probably there, there might have been 500 kids in the same neighborhood that would have they ha all had great relationships with their parents well now there's going to be one or two kids and those two kids cannot make a greater impact on on the community in yeah. in some ways yeah yeah i mean i think there's different dynamics of having quote a good relationship with your parents i what what i think i want to emphasize is that i think alexi did get something that she would not have gotten if she had gone to work 35 hours a week. And that is she got to mother our kids. And by that, I mean like literally be there with them, mothering them mm -hmm. for twice the amount of time Most she would have, if she'd gone to work. And that's just, that's just a, a binary reality that you just can't change, right. you know? And so that choice that she made for our children affected a lot of things in her life. Like we don't, I don't have any pictures of my kids and us in Paris. And I never will mm -hmm. or Cozumel and never will. You know, we've gone on one, one big 
family vacation to another country. Unless last Optiv year. becomes a billion dollar company, I'll see yeah. you guys to Paris. But my kids will be grown, you know, like, <laughs> That's true. so That's like, true. but yeah. we, we made that trade. Yeah. We traded that in yeah. for this. Yeah. And, um, and I yeah. see her relationship with our kids and even, even like in the, in the times and with our kids that the relationships have struggled. Yeah. Like I, you can still see that, like yeah. that they, they're, the connection is really, really strong, mm -hmm. even, even in conflict. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's something that's really, really, really valuable. And it's, it's hard to show that. Mm -hmm. So I, I would say to men, like, um, I found it difficult to participate, but like there are ways to support your spouse in addition to trying to participate that I think you need to work out with your spouse as best you can. For me, if I could go back, I think I'd try to be more attentive in helping to create outings for our family that were enriching that I could have planned and taken care of the details of. I think there are things that I could have done even in a low context relationship with homeschooling. I wish I would have done more of. Mm -hmm. um, and I think just like continued expressed explicit appreciation, um, those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I also think one of the things I think that the, I think there has to be a comment on this to be more complete as a podcast. Um, homeschool groups or co-ops yeah. are a big part of things. We struggled with that because this, they can be volatile because homeschool parents make their choices and get in and out of things just at their, at their own whims sometimes. Mm -hmm. And that decreases stability a yeah. lot. Whereas when people commit to an institution like a school, right. private or public, yeah. they tend to be committed to that institution because their kid is benefiting from it. Right. And so they realize they have to give up some of their own choices. Yeah. And so Lexi, I don't know if you want to make a final comment on this. I know you have to go, but like we struggled with the homeschooling co-ops, like coming up with arrangements to team up with other families to do stuff um, from full uh, involvement in classical conversation where you were a tutor and you had your own business to just a loose relationship where we just had lake day with other families and our kids just one day a week, we went to the lake mm -hmm. and they fished and talked and played and screwed around some and learned some science and some, and some woodworking and chopping and yeah. things for boys, especially. Um, and I thought that was a really creative thing, yeah. but it wasn't a full system. Do you want to say just a last word about like co-oping and cooperation and homeschooling? Um, I can, I'll say a couple things. There's a lot to say on that. Um, one, I think that the kind of just the, just a byproduct or maybe like an underlying motivator when you homeschool your children is you, you choose to do what's best for your family mm -hmm. and taking into consideration whatever the co-op wants to do ultimately takes second or third. Yeah. And so you have this very transient, like it doesn't fit us. So we're, we're going to do something else. And there isn't that kind of stability that um, would benefit, that benefits um, you know, a private school mm -hmm. or a, a school system where they, you know, it's something continually that kids can return to over and over for community. And I would also say that kind of as what I've observed is that friendships form and families kind of come together and they kind of, you know, co-op with one another. Mm -hmm. um, and those are the, those are the kind of lasting relationships where you end up schooling together, you know, and you end up, it, it, it borns familial type bonds mm -hmm. that are, that are relational. They're, they're, you know, there's synergy, um, 
to move towards the greater spiritual ends. And also, you know, you have this shared parenting and also shared accountability. And, um, so, but, but like, it's, it's hard to do that because parents say, well, my kid needs this, so we're going to leave and we're going to go do this thing. And then you kind of disconnect with the families you've labored with for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's a kind of a, it's just, you know, that was one thing early on when I realized I'm like, wow, every family is just kind of doing for themselves what they need to do. And I need support as a homeschooling mom. I need Mm -hmm. other adults who are in this, going the same direction as me. They might not be doing exactly the same thing, but I need a community. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we found that a few places, um, but um, but, but there is liability there. Like classical conversations, but then there's also the sub communities of like speech and debate Mm -hmm. or sports. If you have people getting together to do sports, we had a both good and bad relationship with sports. Mm -hmm. We had, I think a mostly good relationship with speech and debate. Oh, Oh, and those were opportunities. Like our kids have driven like interstate to go to parties, like big birthday parties or something for kids in speech and debate. And that allowed them to do like kind of like exciting, youthful sorts of things that were, that were like, felt like they were expanding. Like for our girls to drive down to Illinois to a party um, where we knew parents were going to be home. It was going to be like this nasty party, but it was like friends from out of state were going to be there. It was going to be exciting to see people and they were driving to another state to go to this party. It was exciting for them to have that freedom and to spend that time together. And um, I think that that's been enriching. But I will say, I think all of them to some degree would say, we wish we had more of a, a pool of people mm-hmm. to to swim around with. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. it's just a small community in Madison. It's a little larger if you go more towards Milwaukee. Um, you yeah. know, mm-hmm. there, there's the homeschooling presence is is stronger there, whereas in Madison it's not as strong. Yeah. Like there even are non-religious homeschooling groups and co-ops that exist in Madison um, and yeah. for different reasons. You know, their their impetus to do that. Um, certainly isn't like faith-based, but they still have an issue with, you know, what is being learned and what's being taught and then the needs of their child. So medicine has a lot of little niches, but there's nothing so broad and connected. Um, and I wouldn't have a problem connecting with, um, non-religious homeschooling groups. I don't have a problem with it. And also it seems that there is um, a problem with it. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So. If you have a little bit more money too, you can, your kids can play like club sports or yeah. you, know, you can get involved yeah, yeah. in these like out of home right. extracurricular activities. But there is something to the fact that like, <laughs> not the greatest if, if you're, if you're going sports. to a relatively small youth group mm-hmm. and then maybe speech and debate and a little co-op, yeah. your total pool of looking for like those three or four key friends for your yeah. lessons is like 75 people maybe. Yeah. Whereas if you go to a larger school, especially like a public school yeah. that has a lot of people, like 2, people you're, like you're still only going to have like maybe three close friends, yeah, right. but you're, you're fishing out a much bigger pool. Yeah, and you right. sort of find that like literally sometimes one in a thousand yeah. person who's really going to be your close friend. Yeah. It really just is a bigger pool. That yeah. just is a reality. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. All right, well, I'm going to wrap this up uh, with Lexi. I think this has been Thank fun. you so much for being yes. on this and taking the time to do yes. it and <laughs> letting people hear you. The problem is, is there, you're gonna, there's going to be popular demand for you to be back. I was going to say. I was going to say. I think she will come on for the psych stuff. Yeah, I was going to say. To that, talk about counseling methodologies and yeah. emotional healing. She'll come on for that. Yeah, I, I wanted you to be on the podcast for a while. The frustrating part about you being on the podcast is that 
and just in general, and not that we have talked all the time, but whenever I talk to you, I feel like I have more questions every time. So having to end a conversation seems yeah. really stupid to me. And I she, know you have other things you have to do. And she's a good listener too. So you end yeah. up, you're like, oh crap, I had you on to talk and, and you and listened. Listened for- a lot. Yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, I think. I think people are going to want her back on, but we appreciate you coming on. Well, thank you. This is one of the things that I'm obviously passionate about. And, you know, if you hit the strike the right chord, then I'll say, okay, yeah, I'd like to, I'd like to talk and converse on that. So, yeah. 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 Well, thanks for having me. It's been good to talk about it and just mull about some things. Yeah. Thank you. Cool. Yeah. Thank you so much for, you did so much for our kids in this. And I think that it's, I, I, I still believe that there's a lot of uncut diamond um, wealth that we're going to experience in our life out of it. I, I really, really hope that. But the relationship with us—that's a good. Way I to think put really. It. I think your hope for a relationship with us that they would know us really. I feel like our kids know you so much better than they would have, and I feel like they know me much better than they would have mm-hmm. if their lives had been revolving in orbits outside of our family entirely, very much earlier in their lives. Mm-hmm. So um, mm-hmm. I'm very thankful for the sacrifices you've made. Yeah. Good. Thank you. Yes. I think the clear winner yeah. is homeschooling. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, I want to homeschool my kids um, and even more so after the conversa- this conversation. Uh, I think we, well, we can spend the next couple of minutes just like wrapping the whole thing up. And yeah, yeah I think that there's, yeah. I mean, one of the, I think one of the liabilities of homeschooling. So talking about homeschooling from a man's perspective for just yeah. a minute, the weight of income. Yeah. Being laid mostly on you if your wife is really spending a lot of time yeah. homeschooling can be difficult. There's there you can't just quit your job if it things are bad. Mm-hmm. Um you have to make more money. Yeah. And so you have to be more available to your work because that extra availability is usually what produces that extra 40% of income that that you can get if you really focus on a career. Yeah. So there are things like that that I think are can be really difficult mm-hmm. um for men when their wives homeschool or just when they stay home. Yeah. Right. And so, and your wife just goes to, goes back to work much later mm-hmm. than she would have otherwise, you know, because mm-hmm. instead of waiting till our youngest was five yeah, and then essentially having a whole school day of freedom every day, she doesn't have that. Yeah. So like my sort of like free life where my wife was like back at work could pay attention to me again, yeah, like was delayed right. a whole nother decade. Mm-hmm. Which is very, very significant. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I think, I think that those are significant things and you have to be able to, I mean, men often get resentful towards their wives and yeah, wives can do a better job sometimes of like realizing their husbands exist and like, it's not till children do us part, it's till death, just, you know, but but I think that you, they're also just one person and they, their interests are divided among things and you have to be very like you've got to be really sympathetic about their human limitations. And in some ways I think like when you're at work or you're in the church and you do ministry, so it's more, more relationally based. But, but I mean, I'm thinking about myself, like, okay, so if I'm running a company and I'm working in my, in, in my company and I'm going to work for 10 hours a day and I, I can look at people more like less relationally and more like formulaic or something like that, because they're working within the structure that, that you, you build at work. And there's like, mm-hmm. you're not like relationally tied to these people in like a weird way. Right. Whereas when your wife is at home with the kids, she's relationally tied to these people. And there's a lot more, there's a lot more emotions, I think. Mm-hmm. And so what, like, I think that guys can sometimes feel like, um, 
Like they can be drained. They they can get drained easier because like I don't know. I, I feel maybe this is totally wrong, but I feel like if I go to work and then I come back home, I'm not totally emotionally drained because I'm I've I've just like been telling people what to do and things like that, mm-hmm. or been like talking about ideas. Where if your wife is taking care of four kids and teaching them, she's probably emotionally drained. And so the guy comes home and he's like, "Well, doesn't she want to spend time with me and mm-hmm. like talk to me and yeah. do things with me and." And she's like, I like, no, I want to go be by myself or I want to just take a nap mm-hmm. or something like that. And I think that might be where some of the resentment can come yeah. in. So you're, t- you're making a sacrifice. If you're the husband and you're asking your wife to do, to do the homeschooling, you're making it, yeah. you're going to make you're, a, some yeah, sort of sacrifice. Yeah. Year. You're in, in, in her sacrifice, there is also going to be less of her for you. Um, yeah, and there's yeah, going to be yeah, less yeah. sympathy for you because yeah. she's the lead on that side of the familial sacrifice. Yeah. And there's, there's also this mythology that work is more fulfilling than being a parent. And so the idea is, well, the man goes out and works. And so he's so fulfilled. Yeah. And then, you know, the mom's stuck at home yeah. and she's not. Yeah. And oh, I hate that. it's, it's supposed to be the opposite. Right. Like, uh, like you can have very fulfilling work and work can be very fulfilling, but it's also something you do yeah. to pay for everything else. And the idea is, is that if you're, if your wife does stay at home, obviously these are, very specific role context we're talking about right now. Yeah. But if that's the dynamic you have in your home, you know, the hope is, is that your wife, your wife is actually getting a blessing from it, Yeah. but that it's hard sometimes for women to like feel that way. Yeah. Sometimes they feel like you're going off and gallivanting with the boys or whatever yeah. at work or the boys and other women yeah. at work while she's like doing the hard slog of home. Yeah. And when women do feel that way, that's really difficult. I think that's one of the reasons why, domesticity and i don't mean like a, the domestication of the woman mm-hmm. but the woman's control and, and like sort of empress status within the home yeah and its beauties without that generally in place it's really hard for a woman to i think grapple with the work of domesticity yeah especially with the increase in human iqs and education we've invested so much in men and, and women now intellectually mm-hmm. that for a woman to be pleased with the repetitions of the home I think that's increasingly difficult. I do think homeschooling is a way to make it intellectually interesting for women who do stay home. Right. And some women may find the only way staying at home is even bearable is if they homeschool. Yeah. And they can like participate in this intellectual growth in what they're doing with their kids. Yeah. Because if all she's doing is sending them off to school for somebody else to educate them. And so all she's doing is bathing, feeding, tucking them in. Right. And then she's grocery shopping and taking care of the home and vacuuming and doing laundry. blah blah blah. I mean, to me, when she goes, I feel like I'm a glorified maid. Well, you're like, well, that's because you are. I mean, that's because that's what your job looks like right now. Yeah. And that can be very unfulfilling for a woman who has like an engineering degree or like what, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And homeschooling allows you to be a schoolmaster on top of that. Right. Which is, I think, you know, kind of helpful. Right. And I'm not saying that a, a stay at home's mom is like that. Like when Lexi was stay at home mommy, yeah, she was cranking out that stuff like shopping and doing laundry. Yeah. But she was mentoring women and leading yeah. people to faith and, and being hospitable towards people who had major psychological issues and helping them work through them. And yeah. like she was, I mean, she was a fruitful, she was engaged in fruitful work. <laughs> yeah. And the beauty of it was she got to pick exactly what it was every single day. Yeah. Right. Outside of some of these domestic responsibilities. Yeah. And I didn't. Yeah. You know, in, in certain ways. So, yeah. so I think, I think it's important to recognize that there are, there are some limitations, difficulties. I do want to, I want to yeah. recommend a book because a number of these younger moms who are like in their thirties and their kids are getting school age. I've seen this hunger and I recommended mm-hmm. this book and they have found it helpful and interesting. Mm-hmm. So this guy, I think his last name, last name is Silva. 
edited a volume of G.K. Chesterton's essays called, um, oh, it's a Brave New Family is the title. Okay. Kind of off Alice Huxley's Brave New World, Brave, Brave New, New Family. Because in Brave New World, there is no family, if, yeah. if I remember correctly. Um, Brave New Family. And so it's all these like little pithy essays he's mm-hmm. written about divorce, domesticity, women, men, so on. And he has some views that seem crazy. I think sometimes Chesterton wanted to defend crazy views to rehabilitate other principles. So there's a couple things you'll read in there that are kind of offensive. Um, like what he wrote about women's suffrage, that women shouldn't be demeaned by given the right to vote, right? Yeah. But but his but the women who've read it who certainly wouldn't agree that I mean, and I don't and Chesterton was for women having the right to vote. He but he made fun of it because he thought women's women were demeaned by the participation in democracy because they were empresses of their own kingdom and they shouldn't uh, have to deal with the masculine stuff, tedium yeah. of dealing with all these like democratic blah blah blahs. Women yeah. should be empresses and do exactly what they want. Yeah. So so it's it's kind of, <laughs> if you understand yeah. Chesterton, it's a very yeah. playful argument. He you know he's very much for the expansion of women's rights, but he also didn't want the expansion of women's rights to extinguish a view yeah, of women where right. women could be women, yeah, which in- included fertility and domesticity yeah. as things that expanded their life yeah. rather than contracted them. Right. And he felt like the way modernism was arguing for a certain kind of emancipated woman was also emancipating women from being a woman. Yeah. And he thought that was an inhuman thing. Yeah. And so anyway, but he, he writes about like all kinds of things like, what is it like to be a woman and to do 50 things poorly? Cause you're doing 50 things yeah. when, if you went to work, you would do three things really well and everybody would praise you. Yeah. Right. How do you feel when that happens and how do you cope with that? Yeah. And so it's hard to find anybody writing about the beauties of domesticity with a kind of like verve and humor and stuff that Justin wrote. So that book, I think these women have read it and they're like, yeah, there's a couple sentences in there that I, my eyes were like kind of cockeyed at. Yeah. But generally it really encouraged me about being a mom and being a parent and being a woman yeah. and being a wife. So Brave New Family by G.K. Yeah, Chesterton, Brave New Family. I think is, yeah. a, is a good little read. And it's like yeah. short essays so you can read it with a friend and talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I think to, to close it out, I mean, I think through the education series, I mean, hopefully this is helpful for people just talking to different people who are involved in different uh, sectors of education. Um, yeah. Do you, yeah. So I guess to, to wrap things up, I mean, is there anything you want to say that like kind of pulls all this together? It's kind of, it's kind of, it's not like that we've like been answering a question and there's, it's, it's, it's different. Like, this series is a bit different. Mm-hmm. Like we did a series on what is hell where we tried to answer the question or we did the series on biblical anthropology where we tried right. to answer the question of biblical anthropology. This series didn't seem like we were trying to totally answer the question of how you should educate your kids. It feels like we tried to just Yeah, I give think we the revealed the bias um, for us. Yeah, we have. Yeah, we have, yeah, I, yeah. So I, I'm thinking of – so I think a big issue here is the unity of the church. Right. Like I think creating an, an internecine struggle between homeschoolers, private schoolers and yeah. government schoolers, I think is something we want to avoid. Yeah. And we, I think we want to be allies to each other in how we're raising our kids. And yeah. so um, I think that um, we want one of the most important things is to have a healthy and vibrant church culture and life that ministers well to young people. Yeah. And that is a place where young people who are being nurtured in faith by their families Mm -hmm. can also, as young people relate to each other in whatever context they're going to be educated in. Yeah. So that public school kids are hanging out with other kids who are pursuing the Lord together and are around other people's parents who are godly. 
Mm-hmm. So that if if like if like we're not good on something, like I feel like I'm trying to be a godly person, mm-hmm. but I I have like some blind spots that I, I'm just probably not great, mm-hmm. and my kids know that because they live with me. And I want them to see other parents that are different than that and that have that sorted out, but don't have something else sorted out. Yeah. I think that the church can even out some of the differential yeah. problems of these different forms of yeah. schooling. And so if you're a stay at home mom and you're homeschooling your kids, it may be that you also can volunteer to help the youth group be better at your church yeah. in such a way that your kids have more kids to hang out with at youth group. Mm-hmm. But also it might make that youth group richer as a discipleship yeah. place for the public school yeah. kids who maybe are dealing with a more acidic context for their faith. And they really need a place that's encouraging to their faith. Or maybe they just have a bad relationship with their mom. One of the kids right. or some of the kids have bad relationships with their mother or in certain ways have bad relationships with their mother that mm-hmm. you, not that you would not, not that a woman would, a, a, a different mother would take the place of their mother, but yeah, in some but ways, just seeing different show, examples yeah, of right. humans living yeah. is important. Yeah. There are a lot of people who like have like kids are going to take different things from different people. Right. Like they'll probably take a lot from you as a parent, um, but you want them to see other people. Yeah. And just say, okay, I'm going to do this, not that. Because yeah. otherwise they're going to do it with some YouTube influencer. Right. You rather and you'd that, rather have it yes, be the other Christian yeah. family. At your or church. they're going to do it with their friends who are like, right. like, yeah, I mean, like me and my there's like your friends who are showing you porn and stuff. Like you're like you guys are because right. at a certain age, yeah. what's going to matter the most to them are the kids that they hang out with. Yeah, and so finding a context of robust believing kids right. or kids are sorting it out, and you don't have to feel weird about sending yeah. them over sleepover or just hang right. out with their friends. And, and that's because the family's good. The yeah, and that's why we had this other podcast on youth groups, like. Yeah. Yeah, there there can be liabilities youth group, but yeah. you could see like if you have a church where people are using like different educational things, yeah. how having a place where you gather these students together and you like mm-hmm. try to create a social place in which they're really growing, mm-hmm. if you can create a healthy one, it could be highly beneficial. Yeah, it could be beneficial yeah. if it's uh, like a small group and intergenerational, and if you have, well, and that if it's too, not called right. youth group. So yeah. having, especially having intergenerational worship, yeah. I do think that having having youth group church. And kids not being in worship, that is an issue. So like for me, I yeah. certainly, I, I insist, I, I didn't make my kids go to youth group, but I did insist that they go to worship, public at, worship at church, at church in church, the main yeah. service. Right. Yeah. Um, and most of my kids wanted to go there earlier. They didn't want to go to children's ministry. They wanted yeah. to come to worship. Yeah. And so that's the mandatory. They have to go to that. Yeah. I encourage them to go to youth group and tell them why it's, why it could be important yeah. for the, their growth of the faith yeah. of others. And so they've done that more voluntarily. Yeah. Well, what I've, I've seen with Rachel, even since the podcast we did on youth ministry, mm-hmm. she's gotten more and more involved and in some ways more and more frustrated <laughs> with youth group, but also more and more involved yeah. because she sees the potential there. Yeah. And um, it's, I think it's been good for the youth group. So in terms yeah. of, in terms of my, one of my biggest fears is, is that the church will start dividing over this and judging each other rather than the people yeah. who make different choices in this supporting each other. Yeah. I'd really like to yes. see them support each other. Yes, I do think we should do another podcast on where to draw the line, though. I agree with you almost in terms of like telling people what they should do. Like, yeah, like, like for me, it's like if my friends are going to send their kids to the public schools, I'm going to have a problem with that because I think that they're 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 like damaging and destroying their kids. Okay, but when you so let's say you have a friend named Bob okay. and Bob and her his wife's Alice. And Bob and Alice say, look, we, I, we don't feel like we can pay for Christian school and we're yeah. we're just barely above yeah. the voucher line, but we're below affording it. Yeah. And I don't we Alice doesn't feel like she can homeschool the kids. Yeah. So we're gonna send them to the public school. Right. And you're like, you guys, I think that's a mistake. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they're like, Andy, we totally get your arguments. Mm-hmm. We like this is the choice we're making, yeah. right? 
like, are you going to be like, okay, well then we're not friends. Or are no. you going to say, okay, here, I, like, you st- no. well, I've said our, my piece No. and now yeah. I'm going to be in your kid's life to try to make, try here, to make sure all of yes. my prophecies don't come true. Yes. I'm going to do that. But here's also yeah. what I'm going to do. And here's what I think people need to do in the church. And actually mm-hmm. my wife and I have, have done this and, and my, my parents have done this too with people. I'm going to find a way to pay for their kids to at least go to a, a, a private school. Because we, we've, we've done like my wife and I have offered, like we've done that for people and, or offered it for people because I, I think that education is so important. Yeah. Right. I agree with you. Mm -hmm. If you're going to just, if I'm just going to sit on the podcast or I'm going to sit in a conversation and be like, yeah, you shouldn't do that with your kids. You're ruining their life. And then they'll be like, well, we don't have any other options because we make $50,000 a year and we live in a two bed, a two bedroom apartment and we, and we're not, we don't have money. And I just sit there and crap on them for it. No, that's stupid. But what I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do everything I possibly can to make sure that their kids at least can go to a, a, private Christian school. Yeah. So that's what I would do. And, and yeah. I, and like, I think that well, it, listen, listen, if the Optive network wants to make any donations to impact Christian schools, we would gladly receive them. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I've been doing on the side for seven or eight years, maybe almost 10 years now is trying to create robust Christian schools. And then to help those schools transition to receive vouchers and be in the public choice program. Yeah. So that, because there were a ton of families that couldn't, couldn't afford Christian schooling. Yeah. Um, but they, but the, they were mm-hmm. quote poor enough to get vouchers. Yeah. And so now they kids do go. Yeah. So yeah, I'm trying to open up. I'm I, like, I'm practically living yeah. out there in the world, trying to open up seats in Christian schooling. Yeah. I'll say this like uh, on, mm-hmm. on the podcast, um, that if there is somebody who like can't send their, can't send their kids to pr- private schools or to let's say high point Christian school or ALCS or wherever. And if they reach out to me, my, my wife and I have a whole amount of money built up for this. And my parents, um, also do that. If, if they can't afford it, we will, will I mean, obviously yeah. if we get like 25 I mean, people, I would encourage anybody who's listening to think about this. It's just like, we, I just can't afford it. That you can make that decision too fast. Yeah. Like you need to go to the Christian school and find out how much the bill would actually be. And what yes. is the monthly payment for What are the it? options? How, who, who can right. you talk to? Who can help pay for right. things? And are and there scholarships? Like that? Yeah. And yeah. are you really, are you really ineligible for yes. the, whatever choice program right. and so on? Yeah. Um, I also think that with the Supreme court case in Maine, mm-hmm. where it said that state funding couldn't discriminate on the basis of the fact that school was religious that now that that's a Supreme court precedent. Yeah. I think that there may be some movements in state yeah. choice programs that make it make money more accessible for yeah. overtly Christian education. Yeah. So or schooling. So I think, yeah. So I, I think, so my goal is like, everybody has to decide how to parent their kids according to their own conscience. You and I, or people or anybody can say, I think, cause I mean, I was having this argument with my wife the other night. If I do something because I feel like I should. Mm-hmm. Is it possible for me to then turn to another person and say, your moral choice is indifferent. I just decided just for me. Mm-hmm. And I was arguing that you can't do that, that you can, you can accept another person yeah. deciding a different way, yeah. or if their circumstances are different and, and there's a reason why that makes an ethical difference, mm-hmm. you could say, okay, my choice is right for me and your choice is right for you. Mm-hmm. But in a, a situation where the ethical dynamics are the same yeah. for me to say, I did a, because I thought I should, mm-hmm. But you can do B if you think you should. Mm-hmm. I was like, there's a difference between giving that person the right, like respecting their right to choose mm-hmm. and be morally responsible for themselves and saying their choice is just as moral or just as good as your choice. I said, the second one, I don't buy the yeah. first one. Yes, absolutely. But the second right. one, I, if I couldn't have done the otherwise, 
I can't then say this person can yes. just as easily do otherwise. I think that's bad thinking. Right. I agree. But if other people my age have sent their kids to, let's say, public schools, and I chose not to do that, and I thought I thought that was important, like, if they've made that choice, and if I try to persuade them, right, and they're not persuaded, mm -hmm. I don't say, you've made your bed, now lie in it. I say, okay, I fear for your kids. Yeah. I'm going to do everything I possibly can to make sure everything I fear for your kids doesn't happen. Right. Yeah. Similarly, there are people that feared for my kids because I homeschooled them <laughs> and didn't send them to public schools. But one of the families I think about in particular that we've had some a few arguments about this that I think were kind of painful. I've never got a sense from them that they wanted us to lie in the bed we'd made for our kids. They were like, they were, I think they were concerned for the expansiveness of our kids' lives and they intervened and did things in our kids' lives to help us make sure our kids' lives were more expansive. Yeah. So I, I feel like that's the right dynamic. And so I, I, my, I think that Christians have to be spiritually mature enough to think another Christian right. has made an unwise decision Yeah. It's, but, and yeah. that you disagree with you that they should have chosen otherwise Yeah. and yet still walk with them. Because yeah. if we can't even do that then when some like fornicator comes to our church and is considering Jesus, but is still living with their, like their girlfriend and blah, 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 yeah. blah. And they truly are doing something objectively sinful. Yeah. But we're like negotiating a relationship of grace with them to try to help them move along. Yeah. We're never going to be able to do right. that. Yeah. And, and as it relates to, to parenthood, like in being a mature Christian, making sure you don't cross the line of trying to parent the other person's, kid like if you th if i think that my friends are screwing up yeah I in a way that they're help them in, in a way that diminishes their relationship with their yes parents. right help them I as best as adults you can. are supposed to help like parents sub -parent yes, kids, sub -parent, yeah but not, not in, but not in a way demoralization that, right, of the relationship right, between right, the mother right. and the yeah, you're still in local apprentice you're still in the place yeah. of the parent yeah yeah and i think people uh greatly underestimate the um giving ability of their churches if I couldn't send, if we didn't have enough money to send our kids to homeschool or do private school, mm -hmm. I would, and this part of my personality, but like, I would like go to every single person that I knew was wealthy. And I'd be like, I want like 50 bucks a month or whatever you could do mm -hmm. until I built the money up to make sure I could send my kid to places. Yeah. Because I think people are really generous. And I think a lot of <laughs> the reason why sometimes this people make the excuse that I don't have enough money for this, which is not an excuse. It's technically true. But it's an excuse in the sense that you could get the money. People are generous away. in the church and they they actually want to use their money to do good. And like there's few things that are better than sending kids to a good education. And I think that people, if you were to talk to somebody, I'm yeah. sure people at High Point and wherever, they'd be yeah, like, if yeah. If you can run a good school, it's, I mean, it's not easy to run a great Christian school. But, well, uh, even but a big be, part of that yeah. is the financial limitations. Yeah. I mean, it, the, the fact yeah. that the public system gets twice as much money yes. to educate a kid than right. us is is a savage inequality as yeah. the book from the 1990s argued. Yeah. Yeah. They just don't want to believe that about our schools. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, so I, when I was in, I, when I was in college, I had to read a book called Savage Inequalities and it was about how like in East St. Louis, we spent like $3,000 per kid, but in like West St. Louis where the rich people were, we spent like eight and a half thousand dollars per yeah. kid. Right. We pay, spent double. And that was like this, we were all supposed to be so angry as undergrads and like reasonable. I mean, in some ways reasonably yeah. so. I mean, that's been a, a big part of American, uh, American racist history because like in the 1920s, that was done on purpose in segregated ways. But what did then as and then as neighborhoods segregated, then it was just by zip code. But like, but I'm like, okay, that's literally happening right now. Like our Christian schools have half the money to educate kids publicly yeah. as public schools do. It can't it's be the put, same thing. Yeah, it can't be put under the the classification of racism, but it can be right. put under the classification of 
it's unfair. It's unjust. Or just religious. Yeah, yeah, I guess private. I don't know mm-hmm. what, the, what the classification The, the difference is our kids aren't getting killed and dropping out of school. Like we're doing just as good as them yeah. with less. But Benjamin, um, Benjamin Mays, the African-American leader in Atlanta, said the same thing. He said, we got one tenth of the money. But in our elite high schools that we built onto the traditionally black colleges, our kids did really well. But that's not the point. The point is, is that this is cheating. This is unfair and it should be remedied. And he was right about that. I do wonder in the conversations about racism and and then you mentioned the 1920s that that policy was created and it created these segregated. Uh, yeah, it was, of course, created before that. But yeah, yeah uh, one has I'm I'm there's and I don't know, but there's had to have been policies since then that have like tr- attempted evening out the playing field. And two. Mm-hmm. I've noticed like in Wanakee, when there are projects to be done that the public school couldn't pay for, actually people donated like from the community mm-hmm. and there could, there was huge projects that were done that that's not going to happen in a low income community. And I think that people attribute that to racism when that's low income versus high well, yeah, income. Yeah. They, what they would argue is, is that that's so for a progressive person, the fruit of racism is racism. And the way they would that's say that's just it, a t- I, that doesn't really make any sense. That doesn't. That's not a good. Okay, so they so they would say if a if an evil action is done, yeah, the results of that action could be remedied, but aren't. Okay. Then the ongoing continued ramification that isn't remedied keeps the keeps the harm in place. Does that make sense? Yeah, but at what, and on some I level, will... on some level, that's true. Right. The problem with it is like it's it's it, it's difficult to work out. Yeah. It's right? that's always true all the time in everything that everybody does, no matter what, because we're sinful. Right. And so at what point at what point as a human or as a society or as a certain particular race mm-hmm. do you say that you can't remedy this? It's you cannot much of a remedy wash at this point. Yeah. The way that my parents right. raised me. The, or that you raise your kids, right. you can't remedy some of the things that you did to them because you don't even know they exist or right. because. Right. And Christianity it, is rooted in the idea of forgiveness. Yes. The main way forward is to say, okay, that was bad. We need to forgive. But however, in the old Testament where people did something wrong, that was objective, they were expected to make restitution. And it's in many cases, they were expected to make restitution plus a fine or a payment because the wrong was committed in the first place, which in most cases was 20% yeah. and, or a fifth is what the way the Bible says it. Right. To, so, to the, to the person or. Yeah. And it was paid to the person harmed. Yes. So, so like, so this is why some Christians think that reparations are necessary because like if you have ongoing results of what they would call systemic racism. Yeah. That, especially if you could show it, like if you could right. show Luann Anderson in Chicago, who is 90 now, but in the sixties, she literally got yeah. redlined. And you could say the value of that was $27,000 on her home in 1964, yeah. which with compounding interest is $147,000 today. We should give Luann $147,000. Like there's a certain part of me. that's like, eh. I don't think, now, I don't think there's anything wrong with now that. The, no. the, the, well, there is a problem with that, which is this. Martin Luther King Jr. And, and a number of members of the civil rights movement claimed that money through the welfare system. What they wanted was not oh. reparations, but a system for the American poor. Gotcha. And they what they wanted was full employment. Yes. Okay. And th- basically the welfare state. Yeah. Right. And, and so, so that money has already right. been. And so what happened is, is yeah. that America did that. Yeah. Right. And the problem is, is that because of 
progressives believe this is because of systemic racism. Yeah. Conservatives tend to believe it was because of the perverse incentives of the welfare state itself. Yeah. Um, but then progressives will say, but then later there's this issue of what they call mass incarceration. Yeah. Which then there's the argument of was it mass incarceration because white people didn't like black people, or was it mass incarcerations because the bad incentives of the welfare state broke up the black family, yeah. which increased criminality, which then led to people wanting to get rid of that criminality. Right. Which led to laws that put more people in prison, which led to, quote, mass incarceration, mass right? incarceration. And they would say of black people because. Right. And and because people forget that the Amer American cities were really terrible, terrible places mm -hmm. before a lot of these people were incarcerated. But then once they got incarcerated and the cities got better, people were like, oh, crap, things are better now. Were we too hard on these people? And then it's like, well, it feels like we were. Yeah. And this is just this is a human reality. We're like because now we have police drawing back and we have. DAs in places like New York City that don't want to prosecute crimes because it's systemic racism. Minneapolis, we live and in. Now I, you've got I live there, yeah. you've got exploding murder rates and crime rates, right? Yep. And it's like, oh, like crap. fourteen year old just got shot and killed at the subway yeah. last week in Minneapolis. Yeah. And who like? To, yeah, yeah. So these, I mean, these problems. It turns out they're com more complicated than political slogans, right? Yeah. But the, and the, the question is, what part of that? Is political in the like the Old mm -hmm. Testament, and what part of that is theological? Right. And that. In, in that if you're going to say that we need to give reparations for things because the mm -hmm. Old Testament, they did that for certain things to, mm -hmm. in some ways, like to create like political civility mm -hmm. in the Jewish community. Yeah. Then where did, where does that line of logic end in the New Testament where that isn't that isn't commanded at all? Yeah. Christ came to forgive. And that was what we were supposed to do is forgive seven, 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 seven. I totally agree times. with that. But I, I think the concept of restitution that if, for, if repentance is offered in good faith, where restitution can be done, it is done. So yeah. like I had a friend who borrowed my trailer just the other day because I put a bunch of wood on that for him to heat his house. And then my, the trailer popped off while he was taking it home. And then the trailer dented my bumper. And so he's like, dude, I'll buy you a new toolbox because my toolbox got partially crushed and I'll pay for your bumper to get fixed. Now, my response was, you don't have to do that for me to forgive you. Right mm. now. And then, so the question is, well, who pays for the damages? Well, in good faith, he offered to make restitution because that's still right. Yeah. However, the reason I drive a 12 year old or 14 year old truck is so I don't have to care. Yeah. Right. So I just like, don't worry about it, dude. Yeah. But, but if he had damaged my car, so it didn't run, I might have accepted that yeah. and I would have also felt better about forgiving him because in good faith, he made what restitution he could. Yes. Right. But the problem is, is that a lot of people are going to be in situations where they can't make restitution. But dude, I, I, I would, I would love to sit down with like the 90 year old, uh, like a black lady from Chicago who, right. who experienced the things and like talk to her and say, like, what, what would you see as fitting as, as yeah. a way to pay this back? Or what would I would love to do that. I think that a right. lot of conservatives probably would love to do that. I, I think, think they'd be open to it. But I also think the argument against the people, it is valid. The idea huh? that I think also the argument against it is valid. A, there's there's no scientific belief yes. that giving people large windfalls of money is good for them. It's yeah. usually really <laughs> socially bad for them. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. reasonably likely that for some poor blacks, not all black, not all black yeah. people, but for some poor blacks, if you just yeah. gave them $40,000, it would be gone in two months yes. and their lives would not be better. Really they might be, they might be of, yeah. much worse. Yeah. But then in addition to that, um, Americans of all colors mm. have been paying taxes into the welfare state for generations, mm. money that we will still be paying back for generations because most of it's debt that we're spending mm. right now. Yeah. Um, and so we've paid two generations that haven't even lived yet 
in money into a poverty system that was supposed to be reparational as part of what it was doing, yeah. as was asked for by the black yeah. leaders of the 1960s yeah. and 50s, like Martin Luther King Jr. No, so I, in that sense, when white people go, look, we've been paying this for generations. Yeah, they're right. That's true. Mm -hmm. um, now, it but, didn't personally affect each person in the ways that they thought. The like, yeah, no, so here's yeah. the problem. The problem that modern black leaders are having is they're like, yeah, well, it wasn't successful. It yeah, didn't, yeah, it didn't create parity or equity. You're That's seeing that. True. You're seeing that in modern uh, black leaders. You're not. The, I, I don't like, like. Like I said, I think if we sat down with a 90 year old person who experienced the things of the 60s mm -hmm. and of the 50s and actual segregation, actual racism, they would have th their. I don't hear them complaining at, at, with the loud microphones. I hear young black people. And well, young white progressives in the universities complaining on behalf of the black communities mm -hmm. about things that they don't even understand. I mean, there, there's yeah. like they, they th like that's where I think conservatives get frustrated. Yeah. Okay, I'm trying to think of how to bring this back to schooling. I know, yeah, yeah. So you might have to just cut all that out, but yeah. or give it like opponent bonus ten minutes. But yeah, I think that um, part of this for schooling is is yeah. that um, the, even the question of Christian schooling is gets really dicey. Because yeah, like, yeah. as we start schooling, like it, if we're making a Christian school and you're working with a black church, let's say, mm -hmm. what's that school going to be all about? Yeah. Is it going to be about catching those kids up so that they can experience the justice and equity of having access to a real living because they got a good education? Yeah. Or is it going to be high in discipleship or is it going to be, or is it going to be the kind of school trying to get kids into Ivy League schools? And those decisions can, like I had a conversation yeah. this week with a black leader and she's an educational expert. We're talking about starting a school in her area of the city. And the question of what that school is going to be like is going to be a difficult conversation. Now, for my philosophy, since she's going to be the point person for that school, it's going to follow her philosophy. Mm -hmm. So long as it's sufficiently Christian for me to support, right? Which I think yes. it will be. Yeah. But like one of the things we're going to find with schooling is there's not there's not going to be such a thing as just Christian education. Mm -hmm. There's going to be classical Christian education. Yeah. There's going to be remedial be and, thousands of versions yeah. of Christian education. Yeah. That, and so even if good. a Christian family has a voucher, like yeah. I, I know people at High Point Church that are like, yeah, we're, our kids are going to go to a Christian school. We just don't even, we don't know which one yet. It might not be high point because mm -hmm. some families are like, I want my kid to be bilingual and I want my kid to go to school with more African-American and Latino kids and Lighthouse has more of those right now, yeah. which is a, a church near ours with the, yeah. I'm friends with the pastor. And yeah. we gave money to their church when they were yeah. buying their church in school because we financially and personally supported them. Right. Yeah. And Marcio sits on the board with me of internet of impact Christian I, schools. I, I, and yet our schools yeah. in some sense, quote, compete with each other. Yeah. As Christian schools close to each other, but we're very different. But schools. you're also both competing on the same team of yeah. like, let's just make sure that these kids are educated with a, a godly yeah. upbringing. And I mean, sense. that's why we started impact Christian schools because yeah. all of our teachers train together now. Yeah. You know, at the I got same questions events. about opinions about impact schools, but I, I won't do it now. I mean, I think, yeah, yeah I guess we, we can wrap it up with, um, so yeah. So the, I think the key ideas are one unity. Yeah. Like, but two candor. I yeah. think it's good for Christians to argue about this. There's a lot at stake. And I think that we have to realize that our decisions are big decisions and they matter. I think three is we cannot make Christians feel bad who really have the guts and energy to engage with the public system. Yeah. People who, who are willing to be teachers in the public system, parents who are willing to engage with the public system. Like my brother's wife, she was a emergency room nurse and she became the school nurse for her kid's school, which is way beneath her. I mean, mm -hmm. like, orders of magnitude beneath her skills yeah because she was a very good emergency room nurse like she could watch a guy bleeding to death and it like 
like did not phase her. She got everything done. Her hands didn't shake. And she's changed that to like, well, let's call your mama and see if it's okay if you get some ibuprofen. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. But she did it to be in the public school, in to have home. access yeah. to her kids, also to speak into the school and yeah. to be part of that community. Right. And I, I really respect that about her, yeah. you know, and though they, so my, so they've made a very different choice educating their kids. They're sending their kids to schools at least as liberal as the ones in our city in terms of like yeah. the indoctrinational progressivism of it. Yeah. Or I should say the irreligious indoctrinational part of it. Yeah. Um, but yet I, they're very engaged in their kids' lives. My brother coaches all their kids' sports teams. He's mm-hmm. very involved. He uses almost all of his non-work time investing in their lives, mm-hmm. takes them on trips to see women's world soccer cup, mm-hmm. like world cup games in, in Europe as a family. And they have the money to do that because they both work. Yeah. Right. And that's a very, very Christian way to do public school as far as I can tell and engage in their community. And so far it's worked okay with their kids. Their kids are younger than mine. So it's hard to, their kids aren't adults yet. So we'll see. Yeah. But I feel like that is a good faith, highly Christian discipleship oriented, engaging evangelistic ministry based way of raising your kids. Yeah. Doing, doing it out of, Yes, there's a difference between sending your kids to public schools out of like, ah, I just don't want to deal with it right. compared to, no, I thought through this for a long time and this is the conclusion. I, I would feel yeah. even more comfortable if somebody came to me and was like, this is the 10 reasons why we chose to do this. Mm-hmm. And I maybe I don't agree with any of them, mm-hmm. but at least they're thinking through why they do it. I think a lot of parents are just like, well, yeah. the public school system's there. I just might as well just, just send, send them. them. Yeah, like, I, ah, think that the, I think the more the schools are secularized in, in the wrong way to be secular expressive individualist way of being secular. I think the more sending our kids to the public system or the government system has to be very deliberate. Yeah. But I think that, I think that, that we still should support people, people like me who homeschooled or used Christian education. I think we need to be like supportive of them. Maybe we wouldn't support their decision, but it's, it's a fine line, but saying, I don't support the decision you made, mm-hmm. but I'm going to support your decision in that I'm going to support you as a parent and a friend and a believer and a brother and sister in Christ. Yeah. And I, I also mean that like as a homeschool dad, like I'm still going to speak up about the government schools. I'm still going to be like these, we should be doing secularity in a different way. Like quote, separation of church and state does not mean trying to destroy kids, religious faith. It also doesn't mean and creating a different religion that is. Right. The, the, and so the, I've tried to do things supportively of that in the public system. Yeah. And I've spent hours and hours of my time helping raise up Christian schools that my kids are not part of. Yeah. So I, what I've tried to do is before the yeah. Lord to say, there's, yeah. I, I care about ever. I want to care as a shepherd. I care about the Christian children. Yeah. Right. I care about all children, right. Becoming belonging to Jesus, yeah. not by force, but by will. And so I've tried, and I know that not all kids are going to be homeschooled. So like, I believe in my life, I've made personal sacrifices mm-hmm. to try to be supportive of people in the, in the government system mm-hmm. and trying to help reform the government system to be supportive of people who want to send their kids to Christian schools and to be supportive of the system of Christian schools and oh, to be cool. Mm-hmm. an advocate and a, a utilizer of homeschooling and to be supportive mm-hmm. of Christians who utilize a homeschooling system yeah. and to even grow the things in between the two. Like, can we have a homeschool co-op that is led by our Christian school? Yeah. Is that possible? Right. Could parents pay a quarter of tuition and have a te- just a teacher that's over all the homeschooling Yeah, and just helping those families do that? Karis Academy that Monty leads, right? Yeah. Monty Kinetter leads. It's yeah, a, it's a three days in school, two days two out days of school out. system, yeah. which is kind of a hybrid and it's classical as opposed to Dewey or whatever. And I'm, I'm for that. You're right. Yeah. I really, I, I'm conservative in the sense that I wish we could have a thousand flowers bloom. 
and yes. have choices yeah. between them. But I, so as a pastor, I feel like we can't be partisan. I have to support everybody. Yeah. I obviously made my own choices and should argue for them. Yeah. I need to bring about unity and I need yeah. to make whatever decision people make yeah. the best it, that decision can be. Yeah. Even if I wouldn't have made it. Yeah. Like I like there's all kinds yeah. of couples I've pastored where mm-hmm. I wouldn't have encouraged them to get married, but they were going to get married and they did. And so now I don't go, you know, I told you guys, you shouldn't have got married. I go, okay, what's going on now? How are we doing? How can this marriage grow? Like I'm on board. Oh, yeah. I, I struggle with all that stuff. Cause you know? I just think people make really, really stupid. Yeah. I mean, stuff. obviously you can change your educational decision the way you aren't supposed to change your marital decision. Right. Yeah. Um, you can try different And I've things seen out. that. I've seen people do that. And I've also seen people like we've talked about this in other podcasts where like there's a family that like has their kids in government schools through fourth grade and then, and then they put them in Christian school from fifth to eighth grade. Yeah. And then they make a decision whether to send their or kid to the public school to or to send them to continued Christian education. Christian, yeah. And I mean, I, I understand that. I think that that has some wisdom to it. Yeah. Yeah. There's a bunch of different ways to do it. There's, there's a lot of different ways to do it and we should try to be supportive. Yeah. If you've got a kid that really loves sports yeah. and really wants to play like, and you're like, you know, I think it's okay for this kid. I think they really can shine and I don't think it's an idol for them. You know, letting them play on the varsity team at blah, blah, blah school. What do you do? I mean, you, like, yeah. I mean, what I would say for those people, I mean, AAU is where you should be sent. If you think your kids are good enough, don't, don't do public school basketball or f- football or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like get, find a club AAU team and, and go, go crazy because that's a whole sports thing. But yeah, I, I get what you're saying. I, um, mm-hmm. I think there's a bunch of different ways to do it. Yeah. I think people generally need- speaking, those heavy sports for sports families, that works great. If you've got two kids or one kid, Yeah. if you got four kids who are good at different things, like yeah. that kind of travel schedule can be extremely destructive to family. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay, we were. Yeah. yeah so was- I just, I want to leave Christians with this idea that like, there's hold, there's hold, multiple systems. We yeah. should not be judging each other. We should be arguing vigorously yeah. about it. We should be seeking reform yeah. and growth in different educational systems really right. vigorously. We shouldn't leave other people alone. Like I want to be right there with my public school, yeah. my government school using Christian yeah. friends. If this system exists, yeah. why not try to make it exist in the best way that you possibly right. can? And, and, and you're involved on multiple levels. Like I'm involved at the political level. Yeah. I'm involved at the clerical level, like the, yeah. like leading my church. Yeah. And I'm involved at the familial level yeah. in the co-op of people that right. my family is working with. Which means you have to be a comprehensive person. You have to kind of yeah. know some things about a couple different things. Right. So and that I, you can be effective. Personally, as a leader, I'm responsible to do that kind of stuff. As a, if you're like, if you go to a church, yeah. I would say like, try to be supportive, like know how to follow in those areas yeah 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 and and don't don't forsake your opinions or convictions for but Mm -hmm. but also be devoted to unity which is the hard part about being a christian yeah i go so i guess this is the last thing i'd say based on that is it's like you're gonna get like people respond really emotionally to this because you're Mm -hmm. you're talking about their children you're Mm -hmm. talking about their children's long-term well-being and if you say like yeah if you send your government kids to your government school like you basically hate them like oh man that relationship's over you know what I mean? Like, the, like people's hearts are so bound up in their children and, and they have so much guilt or hope or fear about the decisions they've made for their children. Oftentimes they're balancing things that feel like a terrible trade-off that like, I would just really encourage people to be like, I mean, this is a really touchy thing. Yeah. So be very, very gracious Delicate. in saying what you think is the uh-huh. truth. Yeah. That makes you know? sense. Cause like what you hear me say on a podcast, like there's a lot of stuff Andy will say on a podcast that you might agree with, or I might say that you might agree with. And if you say that, hanging out at somebody's house, watching a Packer game and yeah. you just drop that on somebody. 
That's totally different. There's than somebody a di- saying yes. in a podcast yes. to a general audience. There's a that, seriously. I think that's something that we just br- briefly should touch on because <laughs> I've been getting some flack for whatever being the way that I am on the podcast. Mm-hmm. And and maybe people think that's how I am in, in real life. Although most of the people who have opinions about how I talk on the podcast, I don't know them in real life. And so I think they make the, the assumption, but the way that I talk the way that Nick talks and the way that anybody who does any sort of media talks, when they talk, when we talk about topics conceptually with each other on a podcast, you're going to go out to a thousand people or a couple thousand people. Mm-hmm. When that happens, I talk conceptually. If I got into the room with, I mean, one of the ones we did about uh, Gen Z, how to disciple Gen Z, and I talked about uh, youth group. Mm-hmm. If if I got into the room and I talked, I said we should abolish youth group because mm-hmm. I, I actually think that and whatever. But like, if I went to the room with a youth group leader, I would I would say it. I would say what I believe to be true and have a conversation about it and ask questions about it. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't walk in there and be like, you deserve to be fired. <laughs> you like you moron. But I wouldn't do that. And actually, like, I don't know, just for the sake of. of well, I mean, for podcasting, I mean, there was a while is, where your volunteering at church was in youth group. I did it for a whole year. And you still. You yeah. already believed that youth group should be abolished right? at that point. But yeah. I was like, I'll give it a like, try. The youth group exists. Yeah. These kids need. They need somebody to talk to them. And yeah. so I'm doing it. It's like, yeah. I, there's a lot of stuff in my life like that. I'm like, this yeah. system sucks. Yeah. We need to abolish this entire right. thing. Yeah. But like, but this is what we've got. And, right and now. until I have the means to actually <laughs> do something about it. And usually that's financial means. Like mm-hmm. until I have a billion dollars in the bank and I can build a bunch of schools, I have to interact with what we have now and mm-hmm. do the best I can in my little pocket of influence right. to, to do the best, to, to make sure that what I think is right yeah. um, is the way non-leaders done. think is yeah. if we're doing this it must be the right thing yeah and it's like well that's not really yeah. true we're just doing the best option we've got at the moment yeah but that doesn't mean we're not going to change this when we can yeah you know and i think the way that non-leaders need to think about leaders is they need to like toe the line between over criticism and then also just like following blindly because yeah. i think you're either going to get one of those two things and if you're overly critical i think you should be careful of that because leaders actually do things that like you're in you're in you are certainly involved in a system in which a leader did something that non-leaders would have never done at some point to create this new system that you're involved in mm-hmm. so your your whole life is thank you should be thankful for those types of leaders mm-hmm. on the other hand there are leaders who do terrible horrible things who make terrible horrible decisions and you should be critical of them mm-hmm. and i just i think that when when people start to say like Either I'm all in on this or I'm all out on this leader. You can, I think that could be dangerous. Some leaders you should be all out on, but I think you need to take time to figure them out before you just make that decision. Not mm-hmm. that I'm, I'm like that. We're like, not that I'm this type of leader, but I'm saying that people are just oftentimes too critical. Well, I don't. I mean, that's probably never ever going to change. Yeah, that, I thought we. I that would be a great podcast idea. Is like yes. how do you, what, how do you interact what happens leaders? in a cult, yeah. culture where people yeah. are expressive individualists yeah they think yeah. that everything they interact with isn't an institution but a business yes. yeah therefore they're a consumer yes therefore they have the right to just complain if they don't like the product and it's not right. properly tailored to them yes and so what happens is people who aren't leaders yes are critical yes so you have all these critics constant criticism and yeah. and so much less gets done the world is a much mm. worse place mm. because you can't the leader can't get anything accomplished yep. but also Every person interacting with the system is unhappy. Yep. So yeah. you have much less happiness. Yeah. 
and much less gets done. And then the weird dynamic of, of dynamic, mm-hmm. the weird dynamic of they're not happy in the system, but they want to keep the system. Yes, and then you try to change it, and they don't want to follow. Yeah, right? dude, I don't right. get that at that's, all. That's classic human nature, though. Like Ugh. Machiavelli wrote about that in the Prince. That's just that, annoying to me. Yeah, Anyways. it's usually because the people who have something to gain in the system convince everybody not to change the system that the that the change will be bad. Yes, a, yeah, yeah. There's a bunch Ugh. of reasons for that. Yeah, but I th- I think it's important. I think that that's a dynamic that we have to recognize in the church in particular. Yeah, because right. one of the things that keeps the church from growing is sometimes it's just the leadership's not that great or leaders are shepherd yeah. and not yeah. capable of leading in a larger context. Yeah. But some of it is like, is that if that attitude gets into the church, the church is a volunteer organization. Yeah. It, it can't buy its way out of things right. with consumerism and it shouldn't. Yeah. And so if the church does well on consumerism, at some point that bites you in the butt on yeah. message and discipleship. Right. And if the church isn't given to consumerism, but people behave like consumers, yes. it can't get anywhere. Right. And so as a Christian, you have to be a, you have to utilize the so-called religious goods and services of the church for your benefit. Yeah. But you're part of an institution that you have to submit yourself to. Yeah. Otherwise you can't do the thing you've been commissioned yeah. to do together. Yeah. And that's why the Bible says a lot about obeying your authorities and making it, make yes. it a joy yeah. to the pastors of your yeah. church and the elders so that yeah. it'll be, they'll love being your shepherd and yeah. follow them well and support yeah. them and love them. Yeah. Like it says that um, because if you get in your head that you're a consumer, then you'll just you'll destroy the whole possibility yeah, of getting anywhere. It doesn't say that so that you can just follow this tyrannical leader who's going to do whatever they want. Right. And There's you don't very little in scripture that says yeah. that allows you to criticize pastors. Now, I don't I don't want to go to the full out like you can't speak against the Lord's anointing. Yeah. But there's a reason why abusive leaders quote those verses. Yeah. And it's because the Bible does say have that. a strong emphasis on the leadership yeah. of authorities yeah. that God has put in place. And that includes elders and pastors. Yeah. Um, but there's also God. What if you have a female? God states like very yeah. withering yes. statements about the yeah. abuse of power also. Yes. Yeah. You yeah. Know? No, that makes sense. I, I think we could do a whole podcast on leadership um, yeah. and church leadership and all those types of things. Yeah. Okay. Podcast is in its own Po- like po- its own podcast, its own podcast, not even just yeah. an episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah uh, but there's a lot leadership, leadership podcast podcasts, yeah. or something. Um, okay, so I'll, I'll close this out. Uh, it, thanks for listening. If you liked this, make sure you like, subscribe, share this with your friends, give us a follow, leave us a review, and all those things. I don't. I sometimes I forget some of them. Anyways, we'll see you guys in the next one. Goodbye.